0: So this is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. This is part two with Dick Metz. Uh, we're going to get into how he became the travel adventure lifestyle guru that he did. Um, so we're coming back. We take a little break. We're having an epic day in Sun Valley, Idaho, talking about the history of Laguna Beach surfing lifestyle, adventure lifestyle, and uh, how that became a business enterprise. But uh, I want to talk, Dick, if it's okay. I'd like love to talk about how you got into adventure travel and uh it's probably just travel back then but you know kind of adventure travel and uh and touring the world and wh- how that turned into films
1: well uh as we said earlier i had during the the war my dad had been uh, on the merchant marine so he had sent me pictures and been all over the world in the south seas and australia and europe and africa so that wet my appetite and then i read all those magazine articles about adventure magazines and i knew that i'd been to hawaii of course surf there and been to mexico and surf there and got the urge like it's got to be surfing other places besides those in southern california so um you know, I started looking at the thing on map and them, figuring out where I wanted to go. And you
0: had and, some money from selling the liquor store? And that... I
1: sold the liquor store and I actually had $2,200 and I sold my car Which for 50
0: a, bucks. Was a bunch of money back then. Right? Yeah,
1: well, it was a it good amount it? for me. <laughs> yeah. and,
0: and What year was it?
1: 1958. Okay. And I'd been working for Grubby a part-time cuz I before I making could go. Phone blanks. Yep. Yeah, making blanks, pouring the blanks. And I lived with a bunch of guys in Laguna, and uh, I was tending bar at night and working for Grubby in the daytime. But in Is order at to- the
0: uh, At the Sandpiper?
1: At the Sandpiper. And hilarious. I lived right in back of the Sandpiper. So we were having a great time, and um, the surf was always good there in the summertime. And um, I knew that I wanted to go, but I started, we, we you know, laying on the beach again, where, where would be the best places to go? Well, I wanted to go to Tahiti, and there was no airport. There was no way to get there, no ships that went directly there. So the only way to get to Tahiti in those days was either on a sailboat uh, yeah. out of Newport or L.A. somewhere, going to Tahiti. But that was slim and not very often. And even if there was, you know, you had to know the skipper or somebody to get Probably on board.
0: Could take a surfboard with
1: you. Yeah, and the whole thing was, like, not going to happen. So in one of the magazines, it was during the French were fighting in the Vietnam War. It was called the french Indochina War at the right. time. So the French were sending French foreign legionnaires from Marseille across the Atlantic through the Panama Canal, and Tahiti was a French possession. Right. So they would stop in Tahiti and get uh, food and water and go on to french Indochina. So I read in one of these magazines that if you got to Panama, that you could sometimes there was no guarantee but sometimes buy a ticket on one of those ships and with you all, didn't know when they were going
0: with all the crazy french foreign legion uh, the foreign well, those guys can be a little little, little crazy sometimes, <laughs> well it right? was
1: crazy yeah. and i got pictures to prove it yeah, yeah. so uh i hitchhiked and th- well that was one part i wanted to go to tahiti then i i ran track and was uh about well, i got in the uh when i was in college i got second not second i got sixth in the nation in the high hurdles
0: whoa
1: and uh, the coach what that, was the
0: distance you're running in the high hurdles
1: uh, 120 yards oh wow and the 220 low hurdles i ran those too but the high hurdles i was better at i, I wasn't tall enough but i was real fast and i'm pretty limber so i could, so get, could over get over them them. and do pretty good, but uh, you know when you get world class, I wasn't quite there. But I got. Um,
0: There's a photo co- of you racing. It was that in college where you're barefoot and everyone else is wearing flats. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they were all in spiked shoes and I ran barefooted and usually could beat SCUCLA. I ran against most of them and beat <laughs> most of them most of the time. So I got scholarships and the track coach for the Olympic American Olympic team uh, was coaching at San Jose. So he gave me a full scholarship to. San Jose but I, in the meantime I'd broken my back which I mentioned in the service in a car wreck and I never really ran as good after that I still ran but not as fast and so um, he was coaching the Olympic team and the Olympics were going to be in Rome in 1960 so in those days there wasn't the security and he said come on to Rome and I'll get you in the Olympic uh, you know, in the game. city. Not run in into in the, it, the, just but just in the, in the, the park. Yeah. And so I wanted to go to the Olympic Games in Rome. I wanted to go to Tahiti. I wanted to go to Africa. I didn't know anything about Africa, but just what you'd read in National Geographic. You know, wild animals, jungle, Tarzan. Yeah. You know, wild natives with funny outfits and their ears stretched and yeah, all yeah. kinds of fun. So I wanted to go to Africa just to see the different cultures and attitudes. And I wanted to run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. Wow! So those were my five targets. I had no idea how I was going to get to any of them. Yeah. But Tahiti was the closest. So when oh, I wanted to go to Australia and surf, I knew there was surf in Australia. So it was Tahiti, Australia, Africa, running with the bulls in the Olympic Games. Those were my five targets. That's
0: a, that's a pretty good bucket list. <laughs> yeah. right there.
1: So I started off hitchhiking right in front of the Sandpiper on the Coast Highway. Uh, down through. And I'd already gone to school in Mexico. And when I was in school in Mexico, I went to Yucatan and Guatemala. So I'd traveled around there and saw the oceans on both sides. And and I knew that. So I was anxious to try and get to Tahiti. So I hitchhiked and went straight through Nicaragua and Central America, got to Panama in pretty short order. And um, I got a room there in a hooker hotel, which (laughs) always got my attention. What's a hooker hotel? Well, I mean, those, you know, the culture and the beach in those days and the sex life of an American was so different than it was in other countries. And so, so yeah, prostitutes yeah. were hookers.
0: And, and, and what was the sex life like? I mean, you're, you are you well, started to get into that, but we didn't quite go there. So. Well,
1: I mean, it, we would all be in jail today because the, the rules of the game have changed so much. I mean, it wasn't like girls didn't want to have sex but they were scared to death about getting pregnant yeah. and their parents and the social
0: norms and everything yeah.
1: norms of of the day you know you were just ostracized if you had an illegal baby and so there was no uh, abortions weren't legal and so in our case in laguna
0: and there wasn't great there wasn't great uh, there's was like i guess you were where condoms uh, the only thing well, had... we didn't
1: have condoms in those days oh, yeah. I mean, the, well they're starting to come in and yeah. nobody knew about you know when you're in high school you don't know yeah. all this stuff sure and you're just fumbling around yeah. and the you know the girls you know you'd go out and necking on the beach and stuff and trying to get their clothes off right. but they were scared to death right. and so nothing was happening there you might get their top off and you thought you're really scoring <laughs> <laughs> and so we had a way. And And I could say this would be going to jail but but the girls needed an excuse. they weren't going to just have sex because they wanted to. They had to have some kind of excuse if they were going to at all. Right. So we would take them to the beach and you'd be laying in the sand, we'd take them down there always it was going for a grunion hunt okay. and then which we, is
0: that which is a thing a it's little a, fish the fish runs, yeah the yeah. fish
1: runs and so they knew that was real and then you'd say we're going for a, a grunion hunt and uh, see if we can find a one-eyed grunion oh, gosh. <laughs> and so so that was all part of the game and they weren't quite sure what you're talking about but you'd be on the sand and necking and so if they were the girl was laying on her back and you'd lay beside her you would put your torso on her right arm so you would be laying that put that right arm was indisposed in because your weight they couldn't Get it up. So then you'd reach around their head and grab their wrist with your left hand. Yeah. So that left your right hand free and clear. Oh, and so you could hold their left hand down with your hand, and you're laying on their right hand, and they'd wiggle around. And, and But it, that was so they the game. they'd
0: pretend not to they'd like They'd
1: pretend it. like they didn't want to do it. In reality, they had to be coaxed into it. But even then, you might—you weren't going to always get there, yeah. but you gave it a good try. Right. But that's the way it was. And the girls, some of them, did get pregnant. Uh, and we had a thing in Laguna. There was enough girls that got pregnant. So we would go to Tijuana, where abortions were legal, to a real doctor, not some flaky guy, mm-hmm. but a real doctor, and you'd go to the, uh, the regular doctor's office in Tijuana, and they had a sign in. They called it Laguna Sickness. Oh, wow. So that was the term that you were going to go to Tijuana and have an abortion, but it was Laguna sickness that you'd sign in on the doctor's register.
0: And what when that what, that was in the late 40s?
1: Late 40s and early
0: 50s. Wow, that was a really different time. They're,
1: totally different. Yeah. And nobody can understand that now, but I still have that same mentality. I'm going to fight for it every day, you know. You it didn't come easy to have any sex.
0: Yeah, well, and and to I mean, I think, you know, the the idea today that we would have to go to Tijuana for for a medical practice yeah is really a, a foreign concept yeah and that was
1: hard to do to get a girl to go to Mexico but if she was pregnant the last thing they want to do is have their I parents have yeah. or society in general because
0: you know outside yeah.
1: so it was that's what happened we'd go to Tijuana and most of the guys would go with them and sign them in and bring them home yeah.
0: You know, my mom was telling me recently, she was saying that when she was growing up in Wisconsin, if you were going to college and you were a girl, then she said her like in, in her town, they would say, don't go steady if you're going to college. Because I think if you're going steady, steady. effectively, you're, you know, you probably... Yeah, so you're probably towing that line, <laughs> and uh, and and good odds you might get pregnant before too long. And so they wanted, you know, if you're going steady, then you know you're, you weren't going to college. You're going to get married right out of high school.
1: Well, that's right. Or pin. We used to say if you'd get if you're in a fraternity at yeah. college, you'd pin a girl, and they'd have us you'd sing to them. Yeah. And the fraternity brothers would come over, and when you were pinned, that was like an engagement.
0: Right. So you were you were committed at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Your
1: yeah. Then you're committed. and you might. You might get a little closer to uh, the goal. Yeah, so, but it was um, always tough. <laughs> uh, so Tahiti's looking real good to me. When I see the movies of, like you say, Mutiny on the Bounty, and you see all this stuff, you want to get to Tahiti because it's free love down there, baby, and we weren't getting it.
0: Right, I mean, Mutiny <laughs> on the Bounty and, and you know, uh, Treasure Island, et cetera. I mean, the whole story that I think was really attractive um, in fact, Conrad Hall is a friend of mine. His, I think, his grandfather wrote um, *Mutiny on the Bounty*. Norah right. Hall, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So, he, and, and his father was the cinematographer. But oh, really? Okay. Um, and Conrad's a cinematographer now. But you know, what, what, what was amazing about that book is you have Victorian England and this horrible captain and these sailors coming out of bad food, bad weather, everything. You know, bad. You know, whatever those values are, people can judge the values however they like. But they get to Tahiti and it's just paradise because. Women run around naked. They want to please you. The food's plentiful and delicious. I mean, yeah, you can imagine. You got everything. Nobody wants to go back. So whatever. Who <laughs> wants to do that. Yeah. So how was Tahiti? Well,
1: well, it was awesome. But for to get there, I had to go to Panama. Panama first. And so, you know, there's these whorehouses. Every place had whorehouses all over the world except in California. I don't know. Maybe there are other states, but I never saw them. Yeah. Well, Nevada, I guess they had them. But we never we were at the beach. So you go to these other places. uh, And to me, that was a different, that's not how I wanted sex. Right. I, but I liked talking to him. I liked finding out about them. Right. It was a learning curve. That was my real university on that trip. I learned more on that trip than I ever did in six years of college.
0: So you didn't want to pay for it. You wanted to hunt. Yeah, wanted that, to, that, yeah.
1: Well, but you wanted to care for the girl. Yeah, and you wanted a relationship. Yeah, you wanted a relationship, yeah, yeah. but it wasn't happening in those days. So anyway, I got there, and I lived there for about three weeks, and I went to the French embassy, and they said a troop ship is coming. Coming through in another week or whatever it was, and but we never know if there's room on there. So the French ship comes in the canal, and they don't even stop in Panama. So I went down with the French consulate on board the ship. And we talked to the captain, and all the, this is an army troop ship. This is not a luxury liner. Right, right. And I went, we went down in the hold. So, this is a freighter. It's not a, a ship where all the troops are in rooms. They're just bare, Bulking they're living on hammocks. the deck. Yeah. And then down in the holds of the ship, which would normally carry the freight, there were just hammocks, okay. hundreds of hammocks. Right. And all the troops were sleeping in these hammocks. Uh, in the holes so you couldn't go on deck there was really not much deck and they had cargo uh, and then there were passengers French uh, diplomatic there's maybe 20 or 30 passengers they were all French diplomats that were going to Indochina to oversee sure. the governments and so forth and so the troops all had to say, but the hatch covers were open so we weren't on deck but we could see the sun and at certain time of the day you'd get some sun through the hatches in the deck oh my
0: god but you
1: had to stay below and so they had uh cabbage uh boiled potatoes and french bread and wine three meals a day wow so i paid 60 dollars for 17 days from panama to tahiti sleeping in a hammock with french foreign legionnaires
0: did you learn any french
1: no but they didn't know any english either and it was you know these guys were Most of them were black legionnaires. And so the French Foreign Legion isn't the normal French army. These are black legionnaires from mostly African countries that were French colonies.
0: French colonies, yeah.
1: And they had usually German officers. So after the Second World War whomever you
0: know, the French Foreign uh, Legion is not t- it's the Foreign Legion typically not French nationals no unless they've been in prison usually that's how they get yeah, out they're bad guys and yeah. so
1: you could join the French Legion to and they would some, change your identity yeah. right. so Gestapo German SS troops after the war went right to the Foreign Legion, got a new identity. They gave him a new passport, a new name, and wiped out. And that's why they couldn't catch some of the SS troops because they were already in the Foreign Legion.
0: It was either the Vatican getting him into South and Central America or it was going to the Foreign Legion. Yeah
1: so that's who I rode the officers were up above and the troops, all the black troops and they were drinking wine all day long, they had to stay down in the hold and they'd be throwing knives, sharpening their knives, I two guys and they would argue and then one guy would go they had a targets in different compartments and they'd be throwing their knives and so one guy would go up to get his knife out of the target another guy would throw a knife and get stuck in the back with a, with a knife sure. well didn't the two guys that I saw didn't and get killed but
0: they had knives sticking, knives sticking out Jeez. their back Jeez. and
1: i i'm looking forward to getting to tahiti because this was not fun so i
0: didn't well, tell french, you french foreign legionnaires have a reputation yeah, among the, special forces community for being uh wild and aggressive i mean they're, they're it's unruly people that you're trying to put into that's service, right. right yeah, yeah they
1: are bad guys that are put a uniform on right it. right so it was a wild trip over there so And you are
0: basically in prison. Yeah, I
1: couldn't come up on deck. (laughs) So then I didn't tell you enough about Peanuts Larson. Okay. But Peanuts Larson was a unique guy. And Laguna, as we said in the other segment, had movie stars and interesting travelers and artists and real interesting people in Laguna. And I... Because they hung out at my dad's restaurant bar, I got to know a lot of them. But Peanuts Larson was born there, and he was unique anyway. uh, He always wanted to be a pilot. And he would talk as if he was a, a pilot preparing to land. And he had call numbers like a pilot would. So when you would see him on the street, you might you know, raise your hand or wave at him and say, hey, Peanuts, how you doing? Instead of him saying, hey, Dick, oh, let's go to the beach. It's a great day. He'd say, Haleakala, control tower, 6-9, prepare for landing. And he would act like a pilot, and he'd be talking to you in a whole different vernacular that you didn't understand or want to understand. So as a kid, he was 12 years older than I was. Okay. And so as a kid, I would see him, and he knew my dad real well. I knew him since I was 4 years old. And I would see him sometimes. Like, God, I don't want to put up with him. So if you're on one side of the street, you'd hide behind a car, <laughs> so, so he wouldn't him. see you and didn't have to talk to him because he don't know what the hell he's talking about.
0: So was was he related to the to the to the greeter?
1: No, nothing. But he's similar to but him. Both but,
0: Larson's, right? Wasn't yeah. Well,
1: uh, that peanuts Larson really his name was was Zimmerman. Okay. And his mom remarried. Okay. And so a lot of people called him Larson. Okay. So her name became Larson, but, but his real name was, was Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Okay. And so he, had, he went by either name, but but we would just call him Lars most of the time. Okay. Some of the time, Peanuts. Other guys that didn't know him as well would call him Peanuts, and we'd just say Lars. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, some days you'd kind of laugh at him. And he was a wild character. You didn't know yeah. what he was going to do. And I could tell you a million Peanuts stories. He tried to teach a a duck how to fly a, a <laughs> domestic duck and uh, you know there's all kinds of stories and i know every one of them because i lived with him in laguna i lived with him in hawaii and i lived with him in tahiti so i spent more time with him than probably anybody else him spent more time when they were kids together sure, sure. but i knew him until he died anyway um Peanuts had been in Laguna. And one of the reasons I wanted to go to Tahiti, because he had stoked me on and talked about it. And he got, he was a sailor. He got a job on a ship out of Newport that was going to, to Tahiti about two months before I left. And he was living with his girlfriend named Francis. And he, Peanuts had never had a job in his life. And Francis was a cocktail girl at the uh, a bar in Newport. I'll think of the the name of it here in a minute but she drove up to Newport from Laguna every day I'll think of it okay, that's all right. it, yeah. it was uh, uh, anyway she would go to work and they lived in a little one room uh, flat in Laguna in an the alley it was really a garage made into a house and so Peanuts I'd see him and he was talking about going to Tahiti and he was going to get on a sailboat so he told Francis one day I'm going to go get I'm going shopping I'm going to get a loaf of bread and so she went to work and so, the next three months, Peanuts didn't show up. And eventually, the whole joke was he came back about six months bread. with a loaf of bread.
0: did <laughs> <And> she
1: <laughs> and, take him back? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, she always took him back. <laughs> That's awesome. But in the meantime, we didn't know where he was. There was not phones, there's not Texas, there's none right. of that stuff. And so, we think he went to, well, we know he got on a boat and it was bound for Tahiti and some other islands. <clears throat> so, But that's all we knew. So I hitchhiked to Panama, and Hev's Peanuts' best friend and my good friend, he knew about my trip and when I was leaving and everything. So I think he sent a postcard to General Delivery in Papietti and said, Dick's trying to get to Tahiti, and we don't know when or if he'll make it. But I think that's what happened. Peanuts would never tell me that. So we arrive in Papietti at 6 in the morning. Sun's just coming up ship docks now having a ship come to Papietti is a big deal hundreds of people come down this this
0: is the biggest city on the main harbor on on the main island Yeah, yeah the main
1: island and so girls are there. And right where the boats tie up, the ships tie up, is Quinn's Bar, the most famous bar in all the South Seas. And I'd read all about that. Seafaring guys from all the different South Seas would go to Quinn's Bar because of the girls and the dancing and the activities and all the fun. So it was well known all over the world. So we tie up And um, I'm getting ready. I got a little rucksack is all I've got. And so I've got my passport and all my stuff is in order. And I get up on deck uh, because that's the first time I'd been on deck. And they were putting up the gangplank and getting the table because the custom guy were setting up right at the bottom of the gangplank. And Peanuts, when I was a kid and all my life, he would talk as an airplane pilot, but he'd also talk as if he was a SEAL. And he'd go, or, or, or. and when you'd see him downtown or at the beach he he might not say a word he'd just give you the seal call and so here i'm looking up on the deck of the ship i'm looking down a crowd of probably four or five hundred people bands are playing everybody's yelling and i hear the seal call or, or, or. and i look around i know it's peanuts nobody else does that <clears throat> and standing on a 55 gallon oil drum against a warehouse i can see peanuts and he's given me the seal call and the next thing i know and i have a picture of him in that book uh he knows the mayor, and I didn't know it was the mayor at the time. He yeah. grabs this guy around the arm, walks right up to the custom lock, and the next thing I hear is over the microphone, Monsieur Metz, Monsieur Metz. <laughs> I'm, not, no, I'm not saying it very good in French, yeah, but
0: Mr. Metz. So yeah. I was
1: the first one off the ship That's hilarious. when Peanuts was there with the, with the mayor and got me off, and that was my introduction to uh, what a, Papietti.
0: What a fantastic way to, <laughs> to get to, there. To arrive in Tahiti, uh, especially unbelievable. Stuck in and the having hole.
1: this friend from laguna yeah. and it's all french language and so we walk across the key there and right into quinn's bar how was Quinn's? and quinn's is unbelievable and you know a couple of hinano beers the girls are all dancing and the tahitian girls they love a fight they like anything different they clap at everything so anybody that gets drunk and throws up they think that's one of them they all yell and oh yeah look at him and whatever they're doing and unbeknownst to me their favorite thing was at quinn's bar uh, you know, you look around, you got to go take a leak or something. And there's no men's and it's all in French. And there's just a doorway that would appeared like it was going to bathrooms and with beads hanging down like you might see in Hawaii or other places. And so I figured that was a, was a bathroom. So I went through the beads and I looking around for a, girls and boys or whatever it was going to say. And there was just one door. was open. and I walk in there and here's one room about 10 by 10 tile walls floor and a metal grate over the floor that you stood on and there's no urinals, there's no toilets and everybody just stands or squats there on that grate and pees and so I go in there and the Tahitian girls hang out waiting for a tourist or a new yeah. guy, a Howley, to come in there and so they're pull their skirt up and they're squatting down and when you unzip your fly then they pinch you on the butt and, <laughs> and try and stop you from peeing that's their little and there'll be two or three girls around they'll be poking you and pinching you and your guys would come in there and they'd try and pee and they couldn't make it it's you know? just wild compared it, just to wild growing up in
0: America it was then. so
1: different right yeah. my first hour I'm there I you know I couldn't believe it and they're half naked anyway yeah. and then they're trying to get you to stop and guys are peeing and pooping in there and there's a Chinese guy sitting on a wooden box in the corner and there's a drain in the far corner and he's got a hose running and he just squirts everything under the grid down to that drain. Oh my so whatever, whoever you are, whatever it is, it
0: all goes down, it goes down that end.
1: And it was just you know, all of a sudden I'm in this new country, new culture, wilder than I ever thought it would be. And uh, here's Peanuts is there. And he gets me lined up in the Stewart Hotel, cost $2 a day to stay in the Stewart Hotel. And it was so different. I couldn't believe it. So I'm drinking in the hotel, I mean, in the bar, and uh, Tahitian girls are a dime a dozen, and you're talking to them, and you can't talk to them. You're talking and making sign language, and they're talking and pinching you. They love to laugh, and they're kidding, and you know they grab you in the crotch, and then they run off, and they go dance, and come on, let's dance. they do doing the tamaray, not like we dance, and the music's going all the time, and the drums are beating. So it's just a whole nother world you're in. And so the first night, and I, I guess I can tell this story on, I tell any story yeah, you want okay. yeah, okay. yeah. well the first night I get this gal and I don't even remember her name <clears throat> so I'm going to Stewart Hotel is maybe 200 yards from Quinn's and it's probably 10 at night and we're walking down the street And she pulls me, I see out in the quay, there's two guys, and it's real shallow there, and they're waist deep in water, and they have a a lantern with a candle in it on their left hand and a spear in their right hand. And so they'd stand there in the water, and the fish would be attracted to the light, and then they had this little three-pronged spear, and they'd spear spear, little little fish, six inches long, but colorful and pretty little fish. And so this girl I'm with, she's saying, pointing over there, and I don't know what she's saying, but... She obviously want we wanted to fish, yeah. so you know it was like a couple of francs. It was like a dime yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, okay, and the guys got paper stuck in the back of his shorts that he's in and so he spears a little fish and wraps it up in a piece of newspaper and I give him a franc or two and the girl's all happy and we go over to the hotel and you know in America you can't take a girl into a hotel room here's a French management of the hotel and uh, you know just waves you on up to your room gives you your key and so I take her up to the room and she takes off her clothes jumps in bed right away and you know I'm you know, a normal American guy but I think you know I'm gonna get lucky I think that's gonna happen but I'm gonna brush my teeth before you go to bed that's what you grew up learning right and so in the in this room there's no bathroom but there's a, a sink and a little medicine cabinet with a mirror a little mirror on it where you'd shave and brush your teeth and clean up and so she jumps in bed no, she's not washing she's not doing anything and she's anxious to have her fish so I'm standing there looking in the mirror I got my two brush out brushing my teeth but the mirror is focused on her so i'm looking in the mirror watching her she unwraps the fish and <clears throat> pulls the fish out and she puts the eye right to her mouth sucks really hard and sucks the eyeball right out of the fish and it, it comes out with a string about six inches long oh attached to it and it runs down her chin now I'm standing there with my shirt off just in a pair of shorts and I've got a semi going on thinking this is going to be my <laughs> lucky day and I see this guts hanging down on her oh chin and pretty soon I'm brushing real slow and I'm looking at this thing because this is the inter- This I've never seen this before and so she starts eating this fish raw and and all the scales are running down she's sitting up in bed she's not laying down got the pillows propped up there and you know she's naked her boobs are sticking out there and all this guts and fish and scale is running running down 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 her chest and everything and there's no shower in the room there's no shower or anything and I'm thinking how am I going to handle this whole thing and so you know I was all fired up when I got there with a woody going on and boy that goes down like a rock (laughs) and so
0: the the whole
1: urge and so I'm watching this whole thing she eats the whole damn fish got scales all over (laughs) her face and everything so I get a washcloth and get it wet and I go over wash her all down clean her up a little bit with all the fish (laughs) scales and finally I get it going again and jump in bed but that was my first night in Papietti it's like
0: a wild animal right?
1: it was crazy because it was so totally different the way the girls would act how, you were you know, raised. how yeah. we were raised and how we were having to lay them on the beach and lay on their arm and
0: different try, culture yeah, yeah
1: different completely and so i mean i can fall into cultures pretty easy so yeah. this is my kind of deal so the next night and the night after that boy i would know how to how this thing works now
0: yeah, you didn't brush your teeth <clears throat> and you kept the fish for later <laughs> <So> the, <laughs> but the
1: next about three nights later i've been drinking every day i'm hung over and i'm i want to go to bed i'm not going to Quinn's tonight, and so i'd been in bed for maybe an hour and i could hear there's the walls uh there's no air conditioner and the walls go up eight feet and then where the peak of the roof there's no wall so the guy in the other room or all the rooms down there the air's circulating so you can hear guys talking three rooms away because of all this openness and uh, uh, um what was his name um I just said it. Now I've forgotten it. Uh, no, the the manager, the French manager, uh, and I, he had a French name. And so <clears throat> I hear his f- sandals clip clopping down the stair, down the hallway. He knocks on my door, and this is so different again with the culture. Dude. He's got the girl I had the night before, <laughs> and he knocks on the door. And he says, "Monsieur, Monsieur, you know want girl tonight?" <laughs> and here I'm locked. The thing I want to sleep. I'm hungover. He's I don't got want. he special delivery chance.
0: for you. Yeah. And, he,
1: and so the girl comes the hotel said well I was with him last night I want to go up to his room and he said he brings her up the manager brings her up knocks on the door unlocks the door and lets her in I mean everything is 180 degrees different than I knew hand delivered
0: ladies yeah so um so how long were you how, and so what was your travel from from Papahete did you and I know
1: we got a time schedule here so that's all right. we could talk about Tahiti in which I went to all the other islands and did
0: you go through that, the society islands like uh, Huahini yeah, Huahini, Raiatea, Bora Bora, Bora Bora
1: and Morea of course I went over there a yeah. new a couple of people there that I played with so one day <clears throat> I bought a French motorcycle yeah and rode around the islands and took it to the other islands. And the girls loved to ride with me because they loved to fall down. Having a skinned leg, you know, it were really? not going very fast, yeah. but there's sand on the streets and it's easy to lose it on a corner. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I'd fall down and skin your elbow or something because you're only going like you know 15 miles an hour yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. And and they would fall down and have a big bruise on it. And they'd laugh about it and they'd pat it and tell everybody about it. So I have, always have pictures of me with... Uh, Tahitian chicks on the back of motorcycles. That's awesome. <clears throat> so one day we were sitting there, and there was two other uh, Americans there, a guy named David Topper, and, uh, and we got to be friends, of course. And he said, God, his folks, he'd graduated from Beverly Hills High School, and his folks gave him a ticket on the Monterey that went on a big tour through the South Seas and Australia and back again. He had gotten off in Tahiti and the ship drove away and he couldn't leave. There was no airplanes and no other ships.
0: There's, no there's no way to catch it. No
1: way to go. And he's going crazy and he didn't, he had been there a month or so and he wanted to get out of there. And so a Norwegian tramp steamer came in and docked right in front of us, you know, 100 feet from where we're sitting having a beer and uh, ties up. And he said, I got to get on the ship and go. I got to get back to LA. So he goes over and there's a first mate at the end of the gangplank and he's asking if, if he can buy... Where are you going? Can I get a, buy a ticket? It's a freighter. It's not a right. passenger ship. And the guy said, no, we, you know, we're going to Australia and, and uh, we've got to go through different South Sea islands and uh, we're not going to America or anything. And so he comes back and sit down. He said, no, the guy was going to Australia and a bunch of South Sea islands and wouldn't let me on board and I couldn't buy a ticket. And I said... David, I will bet you right now a hundred bucks that I can get a job on, get on that ship. He said, well, there's no way. I just, you saw me got kicked off. And I said, I'm betting you $100. And he said, I'll take that in a minute. And I said, now I got to get my uh, passport. I go in the uh, hotel, which is just down the block. I got my passport, got my rucksack. And before I'd left America, I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know how I was going to get to my five targets. So I had passports for Australia and India and and all this other countries. I didn't know where I was going to end up. So a few, you know, half an hour later, I go Back to the same guy, first mate at the gangplank. I opened my passport, but I said to Topper, I got to have the $100 before and I'll pay you back if I don't. So he has a $100 bill because he had a bunch of money. And I put it in my passport with a visa to Australia. Yeah. So I went to the first mate, and I said, I know this is a freighter, and there's no passengers, but I'll be a good work away, and I have a passport for Australia. I opened my passport with $100. My idea was to bribe him for $100. Yeah. And he looked at the 100 and he said, you really want to go, don't you? And I said, I'm planning on it. I'm not, I got my gear right here. I'm ready to go board right now. He said, well, stow your gear. We're leaving at 4 and keep the $100. i am not taking your hundred. Oh
0: wow
1: <clears throat> and so i said well by the way i've got a if you want to work away i've got another good work away friend of mine uh that can do paint and do whatever you want and uh if i can bring him aboard he said okay you can be ready in a couple hours so i went back to topper and i said i'll bet you another hundred I'll i can you get on, you on board and so i got 200 bucks and got, you got him paid
0: 200 no, you 200. got paid 200 bucks and, and the freight when you did that so i'm uh one one of my uncles had the same kind of thing where they sunk a sailboat and then they they ended up on tramp steamers
1: in right, Latin America.
0: Right. So how, so would you you would get some crew quarters and then you would work and you'd kind of get fed and you was kind of free passage more or less. Yeah, well
1: they had a crew uh, you know uh, all Norwegians. a yeah. young Norwegian kid. The crew are all Norwegian, and so um, the the first mate. So there's three watches. You know, and the first, second, third mates run those watches. Those are you're on. Watch for four hours and then you're on four and off eight. So the ideal watch is to be with the first mate and he is acting as the skipper then. So you're on the wheelhouse with him, and you get the sun rises and the sunset. So four in the morning till eight in the morning. Mm-hmm. Then you're off all day. Yeah. You're back at work at four in the afternoon to eight at night. So you get a full night's sleep. Oh, that's you're not waking up at two and four in the morning. Or yeah, anything. yeah. So that's so because I had made this deal with the well, first mate. hours, yeah. Yeah. So he said, "Well, you'll be on my watch." So he put me on his watch, and I'm on the wing of the bridge just as a lookout, and, and I'd come in the wheelhouse, and then pretty soon he got me to be a, a helmsman, and then I worked up a notch, and my topper's out chipping paint. <laughs> yeah. And he paid
0: you 200 bucks for, that, for the opportunity. <laughs> and
1: I got the money, and he's out 200 So the first w- we leave, and we go to... Uh, pango pango was our first stop oh, you
0: finally got there and
1: finally got there and we go on rainmaker mountain and it's a beautiful island and we come in and the drums are beating and jungles all around there's no dock you're not going to tie up we just anchor out in the middle of the stream in the harbor and these drums are going and the you know, you can hear the music and the momentum, just like the movie I saw south of Pango Pango. Yeah. And <clears throat> pretty soon two outrigger canoes come out from the shore with filled all girls, no guys, all topless. They come up and they tie the outriggers to the anchor chain. Now on a big freighter, the links on the chain are that big around.
0: Right. They're about what was about eight inches. Yeah. yeah. And
1: and so they tie up there and they and so this ship was called the thorzal and they had known the ship was a tramp steamer it comes around it had a load of copra on it okay. and so the other norwegian crew members they throw a line over and on the in the canoes they had cases of foster's lager beer oh my goodness so we hosted the beer up one of the norwegians had a radio a Portable radio in those days, playing music, and put that on the hatch cover. The girls climb up the anchor chain because they could put their feet in the like links link. yeah, yeah, yeah. they come right up that thing they're topless with a little sarong around them yeah. and the drums are going and I said this is fucking south Sea, it, baby this pop. is really it
0: oh man
1: up. and so we're dancing on the hearts covers the music's going the drums are beating girls bring the beer and they're all topless and we're dancing and all they have they don't wear any panties they just have a little sarong yeah. around and that comes off really easy i mean it, it's just crazy and unbeknownst to me one of the norwegians that had been on this ship before and been to that same island was had a girlfriend of Samoan girlfriend. And so after we were there, like six or seven days on offloading because you have to offload everything by hand mm-hmm. onto a barge. The barge then goes ashore, comes back. So, you know, it's not like today. They just unload containers. Sure. And they offload in the day.
0: That was bundles. And you're emptying t- a hole. And that just takes, it takes it, time. Yeah, So
1: we have to raise it on the crane, just on a pallet. We have to load the pallet. Goes off onto the barge. But because I had... The, the good shift, I didn't have to work that. So uh, I'm off all day. I could go ashore yeah. for eight hours. Checking I'm it on out. my own. So one of the crew members, the Norwegian, married one of the uh, Samoans oh, girls. Wow. On the third night we were there, and we all went ashore and had a big party. and oh, awesome. It was crazy and just so it was it was a real south seas yeah. on that trip so and we before, went
0: because I mean, now i mean it's there's still south sea islands but you know you've got western bars oh and you, yeah you, the culture's changed I yeah mean, the culture is, the yeah.
1: airports are all there and there's hotels yeah. and yeah you know, it's totally different i mean i've been back most of those i've been to tahiti i don't know eight or ten times <laughs> yeah and it's totally different than when i was there in the old days
0: is quinn still there no Okay.
1: So all of that changed, you know, and there was just I was right at the end of it, right. And it, and you know, in another three or four or five years, it started to go away, right. And I just barely caught it, so I'm happy about that. So we went from there. We went to uh, Apia, Samoa, the New Hebrides, New Caledonia. Wow. Um, Raya, no, we went to Raya, So we went to uh, Tonga de Oh wow. And eventually got to Australia. And so when I got to Australia, I told the skipper, and I, got, I ate with the captain and the first mate all the time, so he got to know him, and uh, I said, you know, would you write me a letter of recommendation? And he said, well, you know, my English isn't so good, uh, I'll give you the stationery, you write the letter, I will sign it with my stationery and put my captain's stamp on it. So I wrote a letter that would knock your socks off like I was one of the great sailors that ever hit
0: the seas. And you had enough experience that you, I you, could you, talk you, to, you, you weren't a total greenhorn. Yeah, yeah. No.
1: So And he signed it and stamped it. And so I go ashore in Australia. We got off in Newcastle. Yeah. I hitchhiked down to Sydney and uh, went to Manly Beach. And I knew there was surf there. Yeah. And I met a couple guys that had surfboards and moved in with them. And they were happy to have me there and learn about what the latest was and all that. So I lived there for, I don't know, four or five months. And oh, wow. We surfed Curl, Curl, and Freshie, and yeah. Bondi, and all up and down the coast. And uh, I kept watching the papers, so when I was ready to go... So they
0: had pretty decent boards there by then?
1: But Well, they had balsa boards, okay. you know, like we did. And they, they, had, they had made boards, the ones that they had left, the guys that I had said from the outrigger and earlier, yeah. uh, they had copied those okay and i met uh you know a bunch of the aussie guys that were starting to barry bennett was trying to make foam and he actually went to work for clark to uh, figure it out figure it all out and uh, it was uh, bill bob evans uh these were their original surf guys that i stayed with them and you know four or five guys got to be friends and one of them um what was his name he was really a funny guy he drove a cab in sydney and he had a board rack and had two boards on his top of his taxi cab Whoa. and so uh he picked me up because i didn't have a car so one day he was going surfing so he picked me up in the cab and he just puts a sign on gone surfing and we went up to freshie and i rode in that cab all over uh That's amazing. <laughs> sydney with uh God, I can't think of his name right now, but I've got a good picture of of him and I uh, standing there.
0: And back then, you would take the ferry from Sydney out to Manly. Just well, like you go Utah. across the
1: bridge. Okay, you go back. You would drive. The, yeah, we'd drive across the bridge at down. But we never hardly went to downtown Sydney. Yeah, you were out in out in the yeah little towns along the coast. Yeah, that's so awesome. that was great fun. So when I watched the paper yeah. and saw uh, and the Thor. So the th- ship was on was the Thor's shawl. And all that company is named the Thor Company, T-H-O-R. Yeah. And they were the biggest steamship company in Norway. Oh, wow. So they had ships all over the world. So I kept watching, and here came a Thor ship in the Sydney Harbor, and so I said, I might get on this ship. So I went down and t- talked to the skipper, showed him my letter. Oh, he's Captain Salem. That was the name of the guy okay. uh, that just came to me. And he had written it. He said, I, I went to high school. You know, they all go to a seamen c- right. school together. Yeah, yeah. sounds kind yeah, yeah, and know. all the skippers know each other because they've grown up as young kids sailors and they become Works captains. And, yeah. yeah. And he, I'm oh, Captain Salem i known all my life, come aboard. And I uh, said, I said, well, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm going to Singapore. I said, perfect. Uh, so we went up through the Great Barrier <laughs> North, Reef, yeah. and then we went, to, uh, 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 to we went to Indonesia, stopped at Jakarta, yeah. and uh, then we went on to Singapore. And um,
0: Indeed, you weren't thinking about or seeing surf in Indonesia. Well, I'm time.
1: looking for it, and, yeah. but I didn't know about surf in Indonesia. But I was in Jakarta and did, uh, I was, you know, going ashore yeah. for a couple of days during my eight hours. And I got on a Vespa and rode around okay. and saw some waves there, but I didn't have a board. Yeah. And, pretty, you know,
0: pretty, and that must have been really primitive underdeveloped. Primitive then, then yeah. yeah. Were they speaking Dutch then?
1: Yeah, there was still a lot St- of Dutch because that was Dutch a Dutch colony. colony. Yeah, yeah. And Dutch East Indies is what they called it then. They didn't call it
0: Indonesia Indonesia then.
1: (laughs) And so anyway, I signed off in Singapore and stayed there a couple of days. And then I just hitchhiked up the Malay Peninsula, went to uh, Kuala Lumpur. And then I learned that there was a train that went to Thailand and it went on the same tracks that uh, the Bridge on the Kwai was oh, made. Oh, wow. So I rode on a, a train. was a big World War II. Yeah, uh, the movie. Yeah, yeah, Bridge of the and, River Kwai. Yeah. So I rode on the movie on that little train to uh, Phuket and uh, into Thailand. Yeah, And then I got off there and hitchhiked around Thailand I didn't like the Orient so well okay. and I kept moving there. I, you know I was there for a That's week
0: interesting, and, but yeah.
1: and I went to you know all the palaces and the golden buddhas and you know I saw the, my mom being a teacher she really impressed me. you gotta go to the museums you gotta see this yeah. historic stuff
0: understand the culture yeah. yeah
1: and I I did all that but then I was kind of bored it was crowded and teeming yeah. with people and, and it didn't do much for me so I hitchhiked up through Thailand
0: is it safe to say that you, part of your travel, like part of the things you like about travel is being able to do something?
1: Yeah, I wanted to see. I was yeah. curious. I'm always yeah. curious. To this day, that's why I ride my motorcycles to these little isolated old mining towns. Oh, cool. I, I want to see what they look like. Yeah. And when somebody, especially the names, Kuala Lumpur, yeah. Singapore, Bahar. Hong Kong, yeah, yeah. those, Mombasa, I mean, those yeah. names just <laughs> you have, gotta a, see it, you right? got to see them. Yeah. And so, we went up through, or I did, through Thailand, uh, then into Burma. And I was one of the first guys to get a visa to go through Burma. Uh, I went to uh, up the Irrawaddy River. Wow. Uh, and then to... Uh,
0: called Myanmar, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all
1: changed the names. And the capital was, uh, uh, what was it then? Burma was... Uh, Rangoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Rangoon. Oh, no, that's, that's and good. so I went through Rangoon, but it was terrible. It was a communist country. Yeah. Nothing going on there. Just gray and dingy and so yeah. I I was moving as fast as I could get rides mostly in them trucks. There's nobody driving around, you're right, you're but there'd be on a truck that's got a load of corn or whatever it was that they were taking to a, a nearby city. So I'd usually get a ride on a truck when went through uh, around to India. Uh, that was then Pakistan had just taken over where they uh, well, they'd split that. So I went through there and ended up in Calcutta and so that was really fascinating I mean, yeah. you know, a whole other culture downtown calcutta teaming and everybody's got different costume meaning different religion right different caste system right. untouchables you know it's guys really, with beards
0: especially then it was really stylized. oh, oh right, totally yeah.
1: it was still an english colony it's amazing and so i stayed at the ymca and right downtown on dalhousie square oh yeah and there's cows walking in the grocery store there's people living on the sidewalk right live breed and die on the sidewalk right and here's a cow walks into a market and eating a head of lettuce and everybody gives it it a room yeah yeah. and i got pictures picture i can't believe it this is crazy right And, and so in the morning i get up early and the untouchables that had died in the night on the sidewalk they have an ox cart and they're throwing the bodies in the and i don't mean a lot of them but maybe in a But you
0: would see that, right? In
1: a mile stretch, there might have been three people that throw in there. And here's little kids, and these untouchables would be They'd have grains of rice. I'm talking about the grains. They'd have them on the sidewalk, and one would maybe be a little lighter or greener or darker, and that would be like their dessert. They would. I'd watch them for hours. They'd move it over to the side, and they had maybe five grains of rice, and they would eat these four, and then this one, they'd look at it and savor it and, and like... It it's was, amazing.
0: It's a totally different way of thinking about everything. Everything. Right? Yeah.
1: And I go out in Dalhousie Square, and there's guys laying on a bed of nails, yeah. and there's a rope sticking up in the air. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, the, 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 magicians, uh, the magicians. Magicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, standing rope trick. God, and then there's cobras. And they're really, like, it's really great oh, magic. Right? Oh, I mean, God, it's, it's yeah. magic. Yeah. Like,
1: I swear to God. And then there's guys, you know, blowing the horn, and here's a cobra and a mongoose in a bag, and then they're all betting, and there's a big crowd around. You know, is the mongoose or the cobra going to win? In, and i got pictures of all of this and watching the mongo- mongoose almost always won yeah, yeah just that's why the mongoose- them. they're so fast man unbelievable and they just get them and, and the cobra and when it, it, you know the guy would be playing his flute and moving with a cobra and he's just i mean all the stuff in the movies and you read about i'm mm-hmm. living it you know it was unbelievable so then I hitchhiked up to Benares on the Ganges oh, River. Wow. Yeah, <clears throat> One of the here, holiest cities. Yeah, there, the yeah. holy city, and there's got steps down into the water, and here down the river, and it's a big old river, here at Wadi, and there's pyres going with dead bodies Wadi's burning down the river. Yeah. and these other guys are standing waist deep, and they're bathing in there. And for
0: them, it's normal. It's but just it's, <laughs> it's again. Com- in a different way, and I, that's why I love you telling these stories. And you know, I know it might be a little racy for some listeners, but I think most people who listen to my podcast aren't afraid of that. I, I think the you know, it's one th- what what you're telling us is this. You know, I, I'm going to go back to Mutiny on the Bounty again. You may be raised one place and you know w- with one set of values in one place where you come from, but when you go out into the world and you really experience it, especially in the times when you couldn't just stay in a Hilton hotel wherever you went. You, the world changes. Right?
1: Unbelievable. I yeah. mean, you just can't comprehend how different it is and the values and the priorities. Yeah. Uh, everything is so different The dress. And in, in India, especially, different colored spots on your forehead right. mean different caste systems. Right. And, you know, I had to learn all about that. And who's, you know, the Sikhs have the beard and the turban and right. all these different guys. And all that was a learning curve. And so then... Uh, hitchhiking in India. by hit- the way how
0: how did the, i had a really great experience in india um, and i was doing it you know maybe a, much later than you how did the people treat you react to you respond to you when you were there
1: well the so in the ymca i'm staying cost like i don't know 50 cents a night or something and there's an english guy running the ymca so you had a little communication talk to him and he'd tell you about some stuff the indians all wanted to touch me and i really hated that you know they because of the the uh stuff that they're smoking and eating yeah, they have all this
0: Oh, the the beetle nut beetle nut yeah, so they got their teeth and, their teeth yeah. are
1: all ugly i mean the girls in india just turned me off and they're all in these kind of different Saris robes so, yeah. but they cuz i was lighter than they were i mean indians can get really black right and they want to pinch you and touch you, and, and they're, it's so dirty. I mean, everything is dirty. And, you know, I, I didn't like India.
0: Yeah. I just... It's, uh, it's it's a lot. So when when I first went, which wasn't that long ago, it was probably uh, four or five years ago, um, I was expecting, in my mind, the India of 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it's become so... Mo- I mean, it's one of the fastest-growing economies in the, in world, the world right absolutely. now, right? world, absolutely. And they've eradicated the caste system, more or less. There's a lot of things that have changed, but... It's so clean and so nice now. I'm like, I was a little disappointed. I was like, well, what happened to the old India? You know, I well, missed it.
1: you should have been there when I was <laughs> yeah. there because it was filthy. And like I was saying, in the Ganges and there in Benares, guys are peeing in the river. Other guys are bathing <laughs> right, right, in it. Yeah. And here's a dead body coming sure. down the or, on or a raft that's on fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to go on the river and, you it know, wash up. And, 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 yeah, it looks like the Mississippi. It, you know, that. just the whole their whole system I couldn't connect with that yeah and I I, I, in Tahiti I could accept that the music and the vibe their energy level
0: the water's clean you know that was a different thing
1: India there was never clean water yeah and
0: did you ever get sick on on these when you're
1: a couple of times yeah, yeah you got a dysentery and you know, you're eating all this stuff, and, and I, I'd eat off of, because I didn't have any money. I never would go in a hotel, and the curry was so hot yeah. in India, I learned, the first I couldn't even eat it, it was so hot. I'd order a, ice cream, and I'd take a bite of curry and a bite <laughs> of ice cream. <laughs> because the dairy, it was so damn hot would in my mouth. Yeah. Oh, it
0: burned the hell out of me. Was Mexican food as hot <clears throat> no. then than it is today? No. That's gotten now, all spiced up for the, I, I yeah. mean,
1: India just was, for me, it was way, way hotter. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well there's a lot of other stories I could tell, but I know it, it, there's a lot to talk about, so I wanted to keep moving, but... Uh, I found out that you could ride in the trains because hitchhiking was hard in Mm, India. There's nobody driving around. There's not that many roads.
0: still hard to drive in India.
1: (coughs) And so I learned that the trains, instead of buying the ticket maybe on the train or you buy it for a class that you're going to be in, each class system then would go and by their appearance, that was what they were. And everybody knew that. So they had a car and those cars you couldn't walk through like ours each car was an end of, couldn't it's, go to the next car so, so clear, yeah. one car would be an untouchable car the next car would be a seat car and the next car would be whatever else it was and then there would be an english car and <clears throat> that one all the howley guys yeah. would go into that car well to get into the station you bought the ticket to get into the railroad station, okay. so I Once had you're in
0: there, you go to, yeah. any car
1: you wanted. But it was apparent where you, by your and they address. they would
0: charge you by your cast. And so
1: I had an untouchable. By my ticket was like. A penny yeah, yeah. to get in the railroad station right. then it was up to me to go the appropriate car <laughs> so I walked as a white guy I walked right into the English car yeah. and, and they're
0: not looking to see if you have a white guy ticket it was just a ticket uh, the,
1: yeah. uh, a ticket to get you in the station That's and so the first time I go in there and I'm in the untouchable car and the guys are peeing on the floor and there's they sell way more they're hanging out the windows they're on top Jeez. of the car they're all over the Place. and I found out and they spit and all this Beetle nut. That was red so
0: juice everywhere the yeah.
1: only safe place on the first ride I went and it was probably to Benares, from Calcutta to Benares. the guys in the baggage you'd get up there and then you were off the floor because yeah. if you're on a seat and I've got sandals on, feet are kind of bare, guys are spitting on you all the time. Yeah, yeah. So the next time we'd stop at a station and they'd go get something to eat, you had to get out of the car, I'd get in the baggage and lay up on the baggage compartment, just lay down up there so I was above all the spitting and they'd pee right in the car.
0: That's amazing.
1: And so <laughs> then I found out I could go in those other cars Right. and then from then on, I rode all over India in the first-class car with all the British, but the last day I was outside of Bombay and the inspector got in our car.
0: Oh, and, and then... And,
1: and he said, we're, I'm checking tickets. And I had the uh, untouchable, untouchable ticket and they arrested me. Oh, wow. And took me down to jail in Bombay because we were just coming in the Bombay station. Yeah. And they uh, put me in jail and I couldn't speak you know they were all indians and most of the police were sikhs okay. and they were all kind of big burly guys with beards and uh, speaking hindi so i pulled out and so i had american express checks so i would because i wouldn't buy much currency i would only buy like 10 or 20 dollars in a country so i didn't want to have too much money as i left so i had a 10 dollar bill and some other uh, uh coins from india yeah. and i bribed bribed the uh the bar, uh, the, uh, the policeman, the, the policeman in the jail, a J-House guy, and uh, for ten bucks I got out of jail. So I was only in jail for about six hours. And he let me out that night.
0: Oh, fantastic! Well, that's a saved you a bunch of money. The <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> amount of money you sure. saved it's probably worth it. So, so how did you get from? Where, where, so where did you I went into? right
1: to down to the harbor in Bombay hmm. and uh, went to all the ships and looking at what they were. I'm I'm okay. kidding me. Uh, there was a, a ship called the State of Bombay and it was going to Mombasa. So here's oh, my wow. here's my ticket, ticket to, to Africa. Africa. And where's so, Mombasa? Mombasa's on the east coast of Kenya. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I've done mine. I got maps. I'm into maps. Okay. Yeah. So I I knew where I was headed. And uh, so I got uh, it and this was really a neat scam too. I got an untouchable. To buy my ticket, and they, it was an Indian labor ship taking untouchables to Africa to work on the railroads. Oh wow! And the, so the whole ship, there was no, it was just bare iron plate decks. And as soon as I got on, everybody, the untouchables had little uh, a towel or something wrapped up, and they would just lay out their space. And so here was all these guys like laying out a towel, and that was where they were going to be going to Mombasa. And so I'm thinking, this isn't going to work for me because all these Indians are peeing and spitting and everything. So Let's I just start went rock
0: rocking. You're gonna be rolling over everybody. Yeah.
1: So I, but I'd been to sea enough, yeah. and I went to, and this was an English crew on there. So I went to an English officer. I think he was a third mate, and I said, Hey, I'm an American, and I don't have any money, and I've been on ships a lot, and I'm willing to work, but I know you have to have uh, an isolation room because on every ship they keep a room in case somebody gets sick. That they can isolate them from the crew.
0: crew And they
1: also keep it if you have to have a skipper come aboard going into a harbor and like going up the Great Barrier Reef. We had a special skipper
0: to navigate. And they
1: got to give him a room. So it's an isolated room. And I say, I know you have one. Can I work my way in that? And the guy said, It's right up there on the fantail. He says, You know where it is. You're right just go up there and live in it because there's no we don't have any sick people yet yeah, yeah yeah. and so the whole trip i had a whole cabin to myself Oh, that's awesome uh, and we went but what was neat instead of going directly to my, we went across the indian ocean and i'd never even heard of the seychelles islands oh wow and we went to mahe the capital of the seychelles yeah and we offloaded there we were there for four days and so i get off Go downtown in Mahi, and there's a bar. It reminded me of Quinn's, and it had a jukebox. They had one American record. It was Glenn Miller playing In oh. the Mood. Oh,
0: wow. Glenn <laughs> Miller that, band, yeah. And
1: that's what we, in high school, we'd always dance to yeah. In the Mood. That was kind of a romantic <laughs> yeah. little slow dance. And so here, what, and uh, the Seychelles have Arabic from the Arabic Peninsula would come down, going to Africa, and it was a French possession. So there was a lot of inbreeding with blacks, uh, Arabs, and French. And so there was a mixed kind of breed of women that... Kind of looked right. like Tahitians, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were half French and half uh, uh, Arabs, yeah. And they were all in there dancing in the mood. This is my music, baby. Yeah. So I had a great time in Maya, and the beaches are spectacular. The diving was so clear, yeah. God, it was great. Surf On my bucket was there.
0: List. I haven't been there, yet. they have surf in Seychelles? yeah. A
1: great surf there in oh. a couple of places. So then from there, I went to Zanzibar, which I wanted to go to Zanzibar.
0: And what country is that in? Well,
1: it's right off the uh, Kenya coast. Okay, yeah. And that's the great slave island. Okay. And that's where all the slaves... See, when we were taking uh, blacks from West Africa... Right. To America, and the Arabs were taking them from East Africa back to Saudi Arabia and the and Arabic Peninsula Zanzibar and all those. was the
0: island where they Yeah, were, where and that so they would
1: they would they would kidnap them on the Kenya coast. And take them to Zanzibar, and that's where they had all the great slave box, and they would auction them off there. Had them all, you know, on irons up on the. So I saw all that, and was there in Zanzibar.
0: They still had. The, oh yeah,
1: it was all there when I was there.
0: They're still buying slaves.
1: Oh no, but they weren't buying them. But they Fitness, were all the. All there. And there was, they still were, but it was illegal then. Yeah. But there was stuff going on there. You know, Zanzibar had that mystic, narrow little alleyways and great teak doors with big latches on them and you just knew evil was going around <laughs> yeah, there i mean yeah, yeah. it was just kind of a scary place and there would be the guys with the red uh, hats on the money guys and it would like uh, casablanca yeah yeah you know oh, yeah, with the fezes with kind of the fezes right. and yeah. stuff and there were those guys and they were dealing and there would be black guys there they weren't didn't have a thing around their neck but i've seen them where they Three or four of them would be roped together. Yeah. So they were being auctioned off somehow. somehow. Yeah, yeah. But you never knew how. So we were there for three or four days. And then it was only a short hop over to Mombasa where I got off and uh, started hitchhiking again.
0: So that was. Which direction did you go from there?
1: Well, you know, when you're, and at least in those days, I mean, there's nobody hitchhiking. There's never. When I was in most countries, India was an exception because uh, there was no Indians driving around, and the truck guys, you know, I couldn't talk to them, and it, there yeah. was just no nothing going on there. But in Africa, because it was colonized by England, France, Belgium, Germany, and they spoke English, you know, a good part of them, and Swahili, which I learned right away, yeah. at least some words to it. But right away, I started hitchhiking out of Mombasa. I spent like two days there. And going up to see, it's right on the equator. Nairobi is on the equator, but yeah. it's 7,000 feet. So wow. you're on the equator, but it's temperate. It's like this. Okay. And so it I got a so ride yeah. with an English guy right away. They don't drive by you, they see a guy standing out in the road because Africa's dangerous. Yeah. And you don't leave somebody. If somebody's got a broken down car, everybody's going to stop and help them. You, got, you don't leave somebody alone you know, out there. and So here I'm standing there. You didn't even put your thumb out. You just stand there. And, and every car would stop. I had an American flag on it. And right away, who are you? Where are you going? What are you doing out here? This Don't you know this is scary? Or, you know, they'd yeah. warn you. And so this guy took me. Uh, And he said, I've got one stop to make on the way to Nairobi. Uh, You've never heard of the guy, I'm sure, but I had. He said, his name is John Hunter. And I said, you mean Hunter, the book Hunter by Hunter? And he was the most famous uh, hunter in all of Africa, an English guy. And he was hired by England to oh, on the railroads to, the to shoot the lions that were eating the Chinese and the Indian laborers. Yeah, yeah. And he would retire. I have
0: heard of him. Yeah, I didn't know I couldn't pick the name. And he that. had
1: the book, Hunter was his name, yeah. by Hunter. That's and I, I loved the Hunter Hunter thing. Yeah. And I'd read the book before I'd left because I read everything I could about Africa. Yeah. And so we had lunch with him, spent the afternoon, and he had ridgeback Dogs. Rhodesians, the yeah. ones that I've seen around here are, you know, 80 90 pounds, maybe. Size of a Labrador. The Labrador. Yeah. These guys are like Great Dane. Wow. And meaner and shit and big burly dogs. Well, they and they he. Lions, right? Yeah, they're made to kill lions. And he had like five of them. And we went in the house and scared the hell out of me. But he said once, when you're in the house with me, and I petted him and played with him, and they were pretty docile. But I got to see so my first day and not the first day but my first hitchhiking trip into Africa I met the all-time great hunter
0: oh my goodness! and it
1: was really a thrill and he's talking about it. we spent about you know four or five hours with him and then we drove on because this guy I was riding with knew him pretty well
0: that's awesome so you're you're getting through Kenya
1: I get to Nairobi yeah stayed at the YMCA a couple of nights there and then I went down uh, to the Stanley Hotel and had a bar in it and that's where all the white hunters and all the safari guys hung out and I got a job right away working for a safari company. So I'd ride in the truck and like with a bunch of black guys set up the tents ahead of, of the white hunter and is and most of the guys that i was on safari with were really taking pictures yeah. a lot of them weren't hunting they were just taking I pictures yeah. and so we went to Amboseli and mara, Masai mara and out in the serengeti and so i'm out there you know working away but, but you're seeing but everything. i'm seeing everything yeah 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 and so i was and i went up to Well, I went all over Kenya, and I got rides, and through that, I went back to the Stanley Hotel, and then I knew this one safari company. So once you know some stuff, you can get other jobs yeah. or rides yeah. oh yeah I'm going to take a load of cotton tomorrow up to Entebbe in Uganda I'll be back in five days you want to go yeah of course so away I'd go
0: perfect you see everything that I way see and, everything. And more authentically oh
1: yeah I'd go up in the coffee I went to Treehouse Motel with a guy and spent the night in the Treehouse Motel yeah. have you been there no well that's where they have a big salt lick and some water and there's a house they built in this great big tree and you spend the night there in a light is on it and you're you're just above all this game that comes everything everything come in there monkeys elephants rhinos lions a whole nine yards and so you know it was spectacular i was i was there for i don't know two months three months and just going all over so then i wanted i learned about other places to go i wanted to go to the gorongoro crater i wanted to see mount kilimanjaro so i got a job down on ambuseli which is right at the Border of Kenya and Tanganyika, now Tanzania. And uh, so I went there, and a guy told me there's a German farm. So there's Mount Maru and Mount Kilimanjaro side by side. And then this saddle, it's probably about 9,000 feet because Kilimanjaro is 17, I think. And uh, so there's snow on that. But we're on the equator still, so you want to be. Not real sticky hot, but right. nice. So there was a German farm. And they said, well, those Germans uh, are always hiring somebody. So I went up there, and they hired me, just broom and board. I didn't make any money, but just to help them at this farm. And they had a black African that was hired by the the serv- the Forest Service. I don't know what they call it there. And he was just go out with the game and w- and follow the migration. Wow. And so herds of wildebeest or zebra. And he would say, Well, there's this herd I've been following, it's maybe got 500 zebra in it and 400 wildebeest. And he just would walk along. So I'd go with him uh, and just walk out uh, on the slopes of Kilimanjaro and Mount Maru in this saddle area between yeah. and see all this game. And I told him, I said, I want to see a rhino. I hadn't really seen any rhinos and uh, I want to get close to one and he took me over where he said I know there's a rhino over here so we walked up and there's a rhino sleeping by this little pond and he was just laid out there in the sand and I take a picture of him laying there and we... Get a little closer, and we're kind of downwind of him. And I'm looking around for a couple of trees because if he gets up, where I'm gonna go? And because I was a sprinter, I always felt like I'd outrun most people or most animals. And so we keep getting a little closer. And I take another picture, another picture. Finally, you know, I'm here to your car, well, a little bit further.
0: So maybe 10, 20 yards. Yeah,
1: and he's still sleeping. he didn't hear us or smell us. So I pick up a rock and throw it at him, and it hits him on the belly and. And he jumps up and he's pointing the other way, and I take a picture, and then he got our scent. And the black guy had already, I'd creeped up on this by myself. And he turned around, and he pawed the earth, and then he saw me. I don't know if they see you. They just smell you and yeah. hear you.
0: Ice, ice, not there. And he,
1: once he pawed a big cloud of dust, come he's coming. I take one picture, and I start running for this little acacia tree. And it was a little tree, and I already picked it out. And I swung up in the branch and kind of, you know, brought myself up into the branch and I was, you know, maybe seven feet above the ground and the tree was only about that big around. The rhino hit the tree and knocked it right down.
0: Oh my God! And it
1: came down kinda slow and I'm in the branches and it just kinda toppled over and I only fell like six or eight feet or something. And I was still in the branches and I thought, What's he gonna do now? And he just pawed the earth and turned around and ran the other way. Well scared the hell out of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. There I'm right on the ground. I didn't know what I was gonna do. Yeah, the- but you have those experiences yeah. when you're out there by yourself. It's scary. Yeah. Another time, I had lions. I was sleeping out by myself, and I woke up in the morning, and there was a pride. I hitchhiked over a little knoll, and there was a pride of lions laying right there. Whoa! And they. But once they've eaten. They're full. You know, they don't care.
0: They're not, they're not But when
1: they're hungry, a whole different deal.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a
1: scary deal out
0: there. The timing's everything. And you're in the wild, so there's, there's, uh, there's no place to go.
1: So then I went to Ngorongoro Crater and went down there and saw all that stuff. Great animals there. And then Arusha is a little town by Ngorongoro. And so I started hitchhiking. this is where the whole endless summer and, and the fate uh, serendipity whatever you want to call it came into being so i'm hitchhiking and the first guy that comes by was a belgian stops the car what are you doing where are you going and i said well i want to go to victoria falls and africa is four times bigger than the united states right when we're talking about these countries massive it's huge we're not talking about driving from laguna to san diego yeah. you know you're going two thousand miles and I said, well, I'm, I'm going that way. He said, jump in. He said, I'm in a hurry, and you can help me drive. We'll drive two hours on and sleep for two hours. And he had, there's no gas stations. He's got gas, Petrol cans all cans in the back, food, water, because there's no stores. There's nothing. We're in the jungle and in the plains. That's amazing. And so we drive for, I think it was six or seven days around the clock oh and, and and it's called the Great North Road but this road is is like a road I ride on my motorcycle that you wouldn't take a car on rocks there's no bridges you got to ford the streams i taken pictures of it cars are upside down mud holes you got to go through you know you drive all day and go 100 miles it's amazing. And so true
0: true overlanding effectively. Yeah, yeah,
1: and this is this there's only one road. It's a single track. There's th- there's no traffic. You drive for days and never see another car.
0: These are lines right out of Endless Summer. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm guessing Bruce Brown probably picked up some of this stuff. Well, he did. Stories,
1: and right? So this is where it started. The guy that picked me up, that was the first kind of indication. So I'm, I didn't know it. He said I'm going to Victoria Falls. So 5 6 days later, we get to Victoria Falls, and we're talking, but he's sleeping. When I'm driving, he's sleeping. When he's driving, I'm sleeping. Because then we get like two hours, and we're going on and on, pouring gas in there. So we didn't really talk a lot. Yeah. We get to Victoria Falls in the middle of the night, 2 in the morning. I'm asleep. He wakes me up. He says, hey, we're at Victoria Falls. This is where you want to get out. It's 2 in the morning. It's cold. I'm tucked in in the seat. I look out the window. I raise my head. I see two little mud huts. There's no motel. There's no hotel. Yeah. There's no police station, post office, gas station. There's nothing. Two little huts and a fire that had already burnt out. Just the cold going. gone. And I said, where'd you say you're going? He said, I'm going all the way to Cape Town. I said, hell, I can see Victoria Falls anytime. I'm staying with you. I want to get out. If it had been the daytime, I would have gotten out. No question. That's where I wanted to go. I had no intention of going to Cape Town, but I wanted to see Victoria Falls. So away we went. We drove another 11 days to get to Cape Town. My goodness. And we get to Cape Town, and his mom.
0: How many days were you? So the total trip is like 17 days
1: or something? Yeah, three weeks or something. Wow. I mean it's incredible a month. Yeah, yeah just driving and uh, it's slow going yeah. and now uh, they've probably fixed the road a little bit I don't know but we had to forge streams and yeah. get rocks and put you know wood in there and get across mud holes and stuff Wow so anyway we get to downtown Cape Town Sea Point Point. And he knows his way around. He said, "I'm going to turn left and go to the Grootshare Hospital to the next corner. I can see the oceans two blocks away." I said, "Hell, I'll get out here. I don't know the guy's name. Never saw him again. Wouldn't know him if I did.
0: Incredible. He
1: goes left, I go right. I walk two blocks down the beach. And I've—you got to realize how I looked then. I hadn't had a haircut in over a year. Wow. My hair's on my shoulder. Now this is before beatniks, before hippies, before any of that.
0: You just look like a wild. wild I got animal. hair
1: down here. I got a beard. I'm wearing a Tahiti hat that I got in papietti with a bunch of beads around it. Uh, I'm wearing a pair of torn shorts <laughs> and an old Aloha shirt that got the buttons are torn off. And you know I'm. Just a bum. And I got a rucksack on. Yeah. The biggest thing, I've got a pair of sandals on that are made out of tires.
0: Right.
1: Uh, you can get them in Mexico and a lot of sure. South American places. And this is what the Africans all wear. Sandals with a tire sole. Tire tread, right, yeah. And and so I'm, really, I'm pretty dark-skinned anyway. And I've been in the sun. I'm really brown. And England, where all the colonies, they dressed in... Uh, white shorts, white stockings up to their knees, white buck shoes, a pith helmet. That was a dress of a British or Belgian or German colonist. colonist. And I didn't fit in that mold. I didn't look totally African. They didn't know what I was. And so I get off, I'm walking down the street, and I see a guy on what looked kind of like a surfboard floundering around in the rocks and a bunch of kelp and I well I said I'll go just go down and talk to him if he speaks English. So I go down and he board washed up about from here to the door. Yeah. I pick it up and it was ugly and not even a real surfboard. Yeah. And uh, he kind of crawls in over the rocks because it's real shallow there. And I said uh, this is the ugliest surfboard I've ever seen. And he got real belligerent. He said, well, what the hell do you know about surfboards? I said, I don't know much, but I know more than you if you made this ugly sucker. <laughs> and I was trying to make him laugh yeah, and be yeah, yeah. funny. And he started to laugh, and it was John Whitmore. Oh, wow. And He he's had the first little, surfer in South Africa. Yeah, right. and he had a little goatee. And he said, well, who are you? And he's looking at me, and I didn't look like anything he could relate to. So
0: he's the guy that basically drove the Endless Summer guys around yeah. South Africa.
1: Yeah. Well, and this is where I got, and so sure, sure. he said, Who are you? And I said, Well, I'm so and so. You well, where are you from? Where do you live? Because he's thinking I'm some African yeah,
0: yeah. guy.
1: And I said, Well, I've been living in Hawaii and I live in Southern California the rest of the time. Yeah. Well, he said, Oh my God, you got to come home with me. <laughs> and he's, he's selling used cars at right. a used car yeah, lot. Yeah. He's got a Volkswagen Combi. We get in the Combi and he's picking my brain. We're driving over to his house about three or four miles away. And before we get to his house, a little dirt road, and he's got a little tiny house. He called it a, uh, uh, what did he call it? He had a funny name for it. Anyway, he's yelling at his wife before we even get out of the car. Yeah. Thelma, Thelma, is his wife's name. Call our mates, we're having a bri. I didn't know what a bri was, and <laughs> our mates, and all this stuff. He's talking in an English accent. Right. I didn't understand it all. And we get out and uh, he's yelling, and his wife comes out and he's got two little daughters uh, that are six and seven. And in about 10 minutes, some of the neighbors that lived around there came on. They're all uh White guys, young yeah. guys, and girls are coming there, and sure. bik- not but really bikinis, but small bathing suits. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we got they're bringing uh, big sausages and yeah. steaks, right, right, and yeah. they got a
0: barbecue going. What do they call this? What do you remember what they call the sausages? They have uh, a name for them. Yeah, uh, they do. Uh, We'll
1: think of it. Uh, so, and they bring them gallons of wine. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking. Now I've been in Black Africa and been gone for a year and a half. And
0: all of a sudden, you're back and in Southern All California. of a sudden, yeah. I'm thinking,
1: God, is this bitching or what? Yeah. And his wife's little sister is named Patty. And she's seventeen, a junior in high school. She's a model in Cape Town. Well, wow. oh, right away, I haven't been with a girl for I don't know how many months. <laughs> she's looking really great and I'm all over her like a dirty shirt. And so they're cooking all this food and we're drinking wine and they're who are you? Where tell me what, what it's like because he, they didn't know anything. There's no yeah. uh, no surf magazines, right. No movies. They they all he had, so I stay there, and so that night I get drunk. I fell in the fire, burnt my shirt, and throwing up. They've put me in the back of the Volkswagen. I slept on the floor of the Volkswagen Kombi for two nights. And Patty, you know... I, I was interested because I'm an American and yeah. I, you know, I looked weird, but they figured they could clean me up a little bit. And so Patty came out with, you know, trying to get me sober the next morning and, and she's got to go off to school. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. This is my, I didn't, had no idea.
0: This is, this is a this great is program. It. Yeah. You're locked in for a And bit. so
1: I go with John, he goes down to the used car thing and he showed me a 1937 pan am calendar and if you remember those calendars the top page would be a picture of where pan am flew hong kong singapore hawaii and there was a picture of waikiki with a surfboard and i knew right where it was at the moana hotel yeah a surfboard standing against a moana hotel and you could see a couple guys but it was a little bitty picture you know it's this big and the guys surfing were that big uh you know out at canoes and uh and he decided to make a surfboard. Just seeing that. Just seeing that count. That's the only he had. He really only the he had. Yeah. And then he did have a a page out of Tom Blake's uh, uh, mechanical drawing, or what was that? Yeah, Popular, uh, Mechanic. Popular Mechanics. Popular Mechanics. Yeah, yeah. He and that. he had a page of that where he just had the uh, the board uh, semi hollow. Yeah. Showed how he was putting the cover on it. And so John it, it had taken would
0: kind of show the frame yeah, and how frame. put the plywood on it, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: and. But he didn't do that. He took a piece of styrofoam, which you can't shape. Right. It's all big cell and it tears. Yeah. And he had wrapped it in canvas and then shellacked it. Oh, no. And it was square and ugly. And it you couldn't lay on it. It was so rough. Yeah. I mean, you did lay on, but it was really rough. It's hard on you, yeah. And it was all wrinkly. his canvas he put on. He, you know, it didn't, he didn't have fiberglass or any of that stuff. He, he, but he knew it had to get covered. Yeah. And he had made this thing. It didn't have a fin. You couldn't really surf it, but he tried to. Right. And,
0: but, but he was after the idea.
1: Yeah. And that's what he had done. But he had to work selling cars. He had a wife and not only two daughters, but his wife uh, had moved in her mother... Oh, wow. Her sister, little sister Patty, and her little brother, Earl Krause. So they're all living in this two-bedroom house. They put me on the sofa after I sobered up, and I yeah. slept on the sofa in the living room. Earl slept in the garage downstairs. It wasn't even a garage. It was just an overhang. Yeah. He had a little niche back in there. Patty, so John and the daughters and his wife slept in one bedroom. Patty and her mother slept in the other. And I'm on the couch, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get Patty in the sack with get, me.
0: Get her out of that bedroom, <laughs> oh, yeah. With her
1: mom. And so that was the chore. It took me about three weeks to work all the angles <laughs> and stuff. So in the meantime, Patty and I fall in love, and she gets out of school at 3 o'clock. <clears throat> she wears a little uniform to school. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, we go surfing every afternoon.
0: Wow. And where are you surfing?
1: Well, we we'd go to the beach. I wasn't always surfing. You know, we'd, and they were lived right on the beach. Wow. So we'd dive there, and there were some waves. We'd body surf and just play on the water. Then we'd go to Camps Bay oh, yeah. and go around the coast. That's beautiful. And then yeah. John, on the weekends, Thelma, he'd take Thelma. And this is what we got away from the mom that Patty and I and Thelma and John would go on the combi and we'd go camp, you know somewhere 20 mile we'd go up to comakey have you been there
0: um i'm not sure
1: well it's up the coast long beach you know where those are
0: yeah i've been to Mulderbosch. i've been uh uh, i have to look at a map but yeah well
1: so we started going out camping on the beach so then john wanted me to fall in love and marry patty and so i'd stay there yeah and so we talked every moment before when he wasn't working so he'd come home we'd talk about Hawaii Hobie surfboards Bruce Brown whoever it was he just picked my brain clean we just talked about everything he wanted to make surfboards wanted me to stay there and make them with him and I'll marry Patty and live in Cape Town the rest of my life and We'll make uh, Mets Whitmore surfboards. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so all of that sounded really pretty good. I mean, it was it's, it's like doable, being right? in Laguna. Well, yeah, Absolute yeah, doable.
0: Yeah, it's like somewhere between Tahiti, Laguna, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and here it
1: was. And I'm living the life, and we're driving around, and there's waves all over the place. And uh, so I, we make another couple of surfboards, and they still weren't any good, but they were better. And we, we had to paddle. you didn't have to let the wave actually break. And you pick it so up in the white water. Riding white water. And then try and get over in the curl some way. Yeah. But it was hard to do. And I got pictures of us trying, but it was <laughs> pretty fruitless. So anyway, I stayed there for seven months. Wow. And in the meantime, I write my mom, and I've written her, of course, all along the way. And I told her where I was, and I met this neat family, the Whitmores and Thelma, the mom, and and my mom, being a teacher, and she's a great letter writer. So she writes Thelma to thank her for taking care of her one and only son that's been gone now a year and a half or almost two years. And, you know, she just gotten a couple of letters, well, more than a couple, but, you know, she was concerned. And uh, so Thelma writes my mom back, and says, well, God, he's been a big help, and we love him. And having him as a treat, and we're learning all about California and Hawaii and all this stuff. So my mom, they become pen pals, oh, wow. and they're writing back and forth. And so eventually when I get home, my mom retires from teaching, and she says the first thing I'm going to do when I retire this year is fly to Cape Town That's and awesome. meet that Thelma. That's awesome. So our families just hooked up there's way more to this i'll tell you so later what, on
0: there's a surfer in laguna gavin um i don't remember his last name he's a, he's a glass blower um i think it was damn it. but anyway he's so, from cape town he's from yeah and his, he, he that's lives his out
1: own, in the, he lives out in the canyon yeah yeah yeah, yeah and that's,
0: his, that's his uncle, his that's, uncle yeah whitmore's his uncle yeah or was his uncle yeah
1: so uh when whitmore so in the meantime once i got home i'll jump ahead a little bit but uh i went back there eight ten times they've been here five times wow. and stayed with me and i stay with you know and my mom i've taken my wife there twice took my mom there a second time yeah so we just our families just hooked together so it was way more than just a kind of a meeting of the minds no it, no this was like a close it, relationship it was a close close relationship yeah and to this day i was just there you know two months ago oh wow and i stayed with a with uh Petta, John's oldest daughter. Oh, wow. And she's now 58 and is a grandmother. Wow. And when I was there at first, she was seven years old.
0: It's almost like you have this big family, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I stayed with her, and we are hugging and crying and, you know, all about John and the whole family. And You know, this the, the whole thing is, is an amazing relationship.
0: That's so cool.
1: But we want to finish this trip, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, because... So Pat Parnell told me all about your story, and Uh one of of the highlights that he brought up was in the Congo.
1: With the pygmies?
0: Yeah. But, I mean, take us on your journey. I'm not not trying to jump ahead. Okay, so,
1: well, I stayed there with John. We talked surfboards morning, noon, and night. I wrote a letter to Hobie when I got home, showed pictures, and eventually I came back a year and a half later. No, it would be more than that, two and a half years, because it took me another year to get home. And I brought a container... Of blanks, resin, fiberglass and stayed there and showed him how to make surfboards. Wow. So that's how it all started. But after John, I said, one day to John, I said, you know, if I don't leave and I told him about my other targets I wanted to go to the Olympic Games and I wanted to go run Rose with the Bulls. Bulls and I needed to go home at some point. Yeah, yeah. And I said, John, I really got to go home but I, I love Patty and we're in love and we're having this romance and everything. And so John says, well, uh, I know you want to go. He said, "Don't go for this next weekend. We got to do this and this." So one day I didn't tell him. I went down, bought a whole bunch of groceries, and I'd already written a long letter of thank you to he and Thelma. <clears throat> I left that on the counter. But in order to get out on the road and hitchhike, I had to take the bus all through Cape Town to get on the road going to Durban. Yeah. And so it took me like three hours. I don't remember how long, and so John would phone home, because I would stay there waiting for Patty to get out of school, and sometimes he'd get off work early, and we'd go to the beach together, and I would answer the phone, because Selma was doing volunteer work, and she'd take the little girls to school and stuff, so she wasn't always there, and their house was right on the sand, it's a yeah. back over, and where they lived, if you know where that is, and so... I answered the phone a lot of times, but this time I didn't answer the phone. And John just had a recollection that I was leaving because I had talked about it. So he gets in a Volkswagen bug that he borrowed from the lot. He goes to school and gets Patty out of school in her little uniform. He knows the only one road that I can be on. So they drive out to that road, and here I went to the end of the bus line where the bus turns around, and I got out at the end of the line. There's a little tree, and I'm sitting under the tree, and if a car would come by, I'd stand up because I knew they'd stop. And so I'd been there. One car had stopped, and the guy was just going to a farm a couple miles down the road. So I'm laying there, and I see this Volkswagen coming, but it wasn't John's van. And so I get up and as it gets close, I'm looking in the windshield and I could see John's goatee. And I said, You asshole, what are you doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, out here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Patty's crying and we're kissing and hugging. And they said, You can't go now. We got this big thing. And so I said, Screw it. I get back in the car and I stay <laughs> another right. month. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, God, it was so emotional, you know? I mean, here. So close, yeah. I, I, we got so involved and I'd been away for almost two years and, you know. I finally had a family. Right, and it's, yeah. here it was we were talking English and girls and the lifestyle that I knew and yeah. god it was amazing so away I go we stay another month and John says well I know you want to go and I know a salesman that goes up to Durban every now and then I'll get you a ride with him so sure enough a month or six weeks later I get a ride with this salesman, and away we go. And John says, on your way up there, you're going to drive right along the coast. He said, I've driven up there, and I've seen surf up there. I know it's surfable. Go look at Cape St. Francis. Wow. So we drive up the coast, and I'm checking out. And I made the guy stop a dozen times, and I'd go body surf. I got a picture of me in M. Ney Trunks, uh, some beach. I have no idea what beach it is, but just some neat ways, you yeah. know. be like driving from... So all, uh, well, it'd be like going from San Francisco to San Diego, and there's no towns. Right. You know, just drive just along see the coastline.
0: Every, every little point. And yeah. then
1: there is a couple of towns, but not very close together. So this guy was a nice guy and we drove for I don't know two or three days and well, maybe only two and so we get to Cape St. Francis but that's off the main highway and I said this is where John wanted me to go see can I get you to take me out there so he drove out dumped me off and there was only one building that building you saw that picture of, yeah. of it said Cape St. Francis General Store or something yeah. and so he lets me out at the store and a guy named Hewlett owns the whole Cape And he's running this store, and I didn't know what it meant, but he had signs that says plots, not lots, plots for sale. And he's subdividing it trying to and to salsa there's not a house out there and so he now I'm an American and I was cleaned up shaved and kind of looked a little bit better and so he takes me in his car drives me right to the point shows me the different coves showed me Bruce's beauties but they weren't Bruce's beauties then all along we drove in the movie yeah, yeah, yeah we drove along a little dirt road points out everything and I stayed I slept in front of that general store just on the cement there in a blanket that's all I had and uh, so I was there for th- and he had uh, Australian surf ski so I I went out right in front there and surfed on that surf ski like
0: a like a like a, a, it's a
1: big paddleboard. right with a kicked up nose
0: yep yep yeah yeah and
1: uh, it's not flat like a paddleboard. right 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 and so I surfed on that and that was where Bruce later named Bruce's Beauties right right so I would surfed there five years before Bruce got there.
0: It was like the highlight scene of the whole movie, basically. Yeah, yeah.
1: and so then I got a ride. He got me a ride with a guy. We went over to Jay Bay, Yeah. and Jay Bay, there's not a town, not a house, not a building. It's just empty. Nothing. Wow. Just rough ground, and I looked at all the waves. We drove right along there. I said, Look at all the surf; it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And uh, super tubes. I mean, we drove right by there. My goodness. And uh, and there's no town, so we went to East London, and then eventually I went to Durban, and I got to Durban, and I went downtown to the main beach, and there was a lifeguard station, and a bunch of guys that were obviously local guys hanging out there, and uh, so I came up, and I did still have, I think I had a goatee then. And, cut my hair a little bit I forgot but anyway Harry Bold did you ever hear that name
0: I I don't know that one there's a group
1: of guys Harry Bold Baron Stadler Jack Wilson and they're all local lifeguards standing around there and they laughing at me because i come up and they're all in and uh, speedos that's yeah, what yeah. they surfed in and they had paddle boards uh that they had with little fins on but basically like a tom blake
0: yeah and,
1: and, and they had pictures on the nose that they'd painted on the nose okay and so i'm talking and they said who are you and i'm telling them and and i said can i borrow one of your boards and harry bold uh, He's been to my house and stayed with me a oh, dozen cool. times now. So we're real close friends. But I said and Harry said, Yeah, you can borrow mine. And they don't you know, we didn't have waxes we know it, but they had candles. Yeah. So they gave me a candle and I started waxing on their paint job up on the nose. And they said, No, what are you doing there? You don't you aren't, what are you doing? And I said, Well, I'm gonna try and walk up on the nose. They said, No, no, you'll they had different names for pearling yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so they're all starting to laugh. And I have big baggy trunks on, um, M knees. And uh, so I go out, and they're all staying on the beach. And I got lucky. And there were little waves, four feet or so, And I did a stretch five. And they're clapping. They thought, <laughs> really That's awesome. So then they all start waxing their nose. Yeah. <laughs> and they get up on the nose, and they're all purling. And I got a couple of good waves. And so they call the mayor. the One of them knew the mayor. And the mayor came down and gave me the key to the city. Whoa. And they gave me a hotel room Whoa. for free, wow. took me to dinner. That's and awesome. There was a big article about, and I, they were talking about America and said, are you going to join the rat race? And the headlines of the paper, I've got a clipping of it, something like says, uh, American not joining rat race or yeah. something. <laughs> oh,
0: that's, like awesome. That. that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, so it turns out uh, being able to do a cheater five does pay dividends so
1: i got real good friends with those guys and they all came to see me later on i went to see them yeah but i left there after i spent about two weeks or something there and then i met harry later on in england a year later yeah he was at jersey islands and they were trying to surf there so i went out and met him there so in the meantime i got a ride out of Durban and went back into africa so We're at the tip, basically, and the only one road, the same road I came down on, goes to Johannesburg, uh, Kimberley, and I went back there and into Rhodesia, southern Rhodesia, northern Rhodesia, and that's where the road splits. If you go to your right, it would go off to Arusha and east africa goes to your left it goes in the belgian congo wow so then i went off to the left because i wanted to go to the belgian congo and see the pygmies so i got rides mostly on cotton trucks and i'd ride in the back i have a picture of me in the back of a Cotton truck, and usually the African guy is driving the truck, and he's got a higher social standing than the other guys. So he'd pick up Africans, and put one guy in the cab, and the rest of them would ride up on the cotton on the
0: roof or on the cotton. Yeah.
1: So I'm hitchhiking out there, and he comes by, and they're really mean to their other people. And so here I'm a white guy, and he stops, and he can speak a little bit of English. He kicks the guy in the cab. He actually literally kicks his ass out of there and said to me, come on, in the cab with me. And I said, no, no, no. I'll, I came later. He's already there. I'll ride on top. He couldn't understand that I wouldn't get in the right cab. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm up on top with about... Ten black guys, and they had a bunch of roosters and stuff. And I'm laying on the cotton and we took a picture, I've got my Tahiti hat on and laying on this cotton with a rooster up there. So you know, it's just crazy the things that happen. So we go to Jottotville, and I don't know how you remember your history of that time. I I don't
0: know anything about it. So
1: I was in Kenya when the Mau Maus were taking hold. England was, it was still a colony, yeah. but the Mao's Mau's were trying to get their independence. Okay. So they were killing the farmers and murdering all the guys out on the ranches. And I didn't have any trouble because I'm sure the way I looked, I didn't look the, like a white guy.
0: You were not a colonial. And yeah.
1: they would look at their go-aheads or slippers or yeah, what, yeah, sandals yeah, 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 yeah. and they don't clap with two open hands like we do. They double up one fist and one is open, and they kind of get a rhythm. They okay. go, hum boo or whatever <laughs> it is, it. Yeah, yeah. and they'd look at my feet and their feet, and then they'd clap again, like yeah, yeah. I was one, and then they'd point. We're the same. Yeah, and, that's cool. And so I went all through that Mau Mau thing, and all no the black guys, you. and they had big pangas and everything. They could have killed me anytime yeah. and didn't. So now I get in the Belgian Congo, And they're having their riots. And you remember when the nuns got raped and they flew in Belgian paratroopers into Belgian Congo? And you were a kid then, so maybe you don't remember that. But anyway, a bunch of rebels raped a bunch of nuns that were way out in the jungle and killed a bunch of them. And so they flew in Belgian paratroopers. And remember, their first prime minister was Lumumba Okay. And Lumumba was of one tribe in the Belgian Congo, and there's all kinds of different tribes. And so he was, one, he was the leading politician trying to lead the revolt uh, in the Belgian Congo. I think, yeah. And I was in Jadotville, and that was a, another tribe, not his tribe. And I saw him capitate Lumumba. I was on the roof of a Joddettville Hotel, and he was in a Buick convertible with a leopard skin over him in a suit, and he had a, a quart bottle of Gilby's Gin. And they were drinking, and he was going to give a speech, and they captured him. And I didn't actually see his head cut off, but I could see this big group around him. They killed him right then and started rioting. And we were on the roof of the hotel. It was only two stories, and we went downstairs. And I have a picture. They commandeered a school bus, and with a bunch of them on the roof of the bus with Molotov cocktails throwing them and driving down the main street Whoa. and throwing them in all the buildings. And we're laying under a, a table in the hotel Jottotville, drinking elephant beer, watching all this go on. So they the town down. It was, yeah. yeah, they burnt the town down, but not all of it, and we were okay. And I think because of the way I looked, I stayed away from the white guys then. Yeah. I was better off being by myself. Yeah. And so I went to Jottotville, Elizabethville and up through uh, the Belgian Congo, and uh, I wanted to go to the Aturi forest where the pygmies were. And there's was a, only a couple of dirt roads, in this little town of Beni uh, is where I was headed. And that was, there was a general store, and I got a ride on a cotton truck. They let me out there. It was a general store with a Belgian guy running that store, and he spoke English. And I talked to him and said I wanted to see the pygmies. And he said, Well, there's uh, a Belgian farmer that goes up there every couple of days. Uh, He'll be in the store here. And it was just a one room little store. And they had Fleur's double bubble gum. Did you ever, as a kid, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bought a whole bunch of Fleur's double. He said, Take, if you go to the the Pygmies, take some food or take some. So I bought all this bubble gum, put it in my rucksack. And uh, the next day, a a guy, a white hunter, came in and a, a. not a jeep but uh, english, uh, oh, a english
0: a, a, a rover yeah a, a, a defender
1: and so wasn't, they didn't have those names then but what's the yeah. brand name uh,
0: um well it should be a rover product right like so they have yeah, like it's
1: a, but the name of the motor company is not a rover uh
0: so it wasn't Range Rover or was uh,
1: that's what they made it's Range but they didn't have those names they just had a a big you know a Jeep like automobile
0: yeah I have a Defender 110 that's uh, made by the same company it should be yeah, I'll have to think about it. Sorry. So,
1: Well, anyway, so this white hunter comes in with one guy in the back seat, yeah. and they this general store had two rooms upstairs. Yeah. And so this came in in the late afternoon, and I'm just sitting out in front of the general store. There was just a little wooden sidewalk. The road was dirt. Everything was dirt around, but right in front of the store, there was a little wooden landing, and the roof kind of came over there. I slept on that wooden deck. And uh, that afternoon, this guy comes in, and he's a Howley guy. And yeah. So I started talking to him, and, I said, and he's an American. I said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from a little town south of Los Angeles in California. I said, really? I'm from a little town south of Los Angeles. And I said, whereabouts? He said, Laguna Beach. Oh, my gosh. And I said... I was born in Laguna, lived there all my life. My mom teaches school, my dad has a. Oh, the broiler. Yeah, I've been to the broiler many times. And I said, well, where do you live? And what's your name? And his name was Smith and Emerald Bay, you know where yeah, that is. Of course. Then, right if you're driving oh, Smith, north. Of just, no. just, if you're on the highway going north yep. just before you get to Emerald Bay on the ocean side there's a private little community that has yep. about five houses in it Smith Cliffs Smith right. Cliffs yeah. well that was him that was Smith that was him wow. he owned that but in those days he didn't That he had one big house there and we always called it the haunted house because he didn't live in it all the time and it was right on the cliff yeah. and that's almost straight down cliff there yeah. and we used to go out there as kids when I was you know 10 years old yeah. and we always thought it was haunted, and hike around there crawl down the cliffs and everything so i knew exactly where he was oh, and nice. he knew my dad's restaurant yeah. had been there small world tiny and so we're talking and chatting he goes upstairs in the room and i couldn't afford it so i slept downstairs but i asked the white hunter and he's staying upstairs too and he said yeah we're going to uh uganda tomorrow and then tebby and i said well maybe i can get a ride and He said, well, it's up to the the Smith. And so uh, the next morning, it's raining. And I'm up and sitting there under the overhang. And they were out and back and got in the car and drive around. And, you know, they're going no miles an hour. And I'm standing in the rain. And they know me. They've seen me last night. And I'm standing because I'm so used to everybody stopping and picking me up. And the the white hunter's driving, he's in the back seat, and he rolls down the window, and the white hunter was expecting me to get in the car, and he kind of leaned over to open the door, you know, lean across Mm -hmm. the passenger seat, and Smith is in the back, taps him on the shoulder, and said, let's go, we're going, we're not stopping. Whoa. I couldn't believe it. He Whoa. wouldn't give me a ride. These guys, the guy I who, who knows from, you from my the same town. In the same town. I pick up a rock, and they're driving down this dirt road. And I heave it in the rock and break the back window. It didn't go through, but it shattered yeah, it. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it because all my
0: what a dick move. The, yeah, oh, yeah, That
1: guy was unbelievable to me yeah. to know who I was and wouldn't give and me a ride. Plenty of room in the car. Plenty of room. Yeah. And so weeks later, I ended up in. Uh, not in Tevy, but what's the other town? Uh, Kampala. Okay. And I go to the, I'd always go to a place where cars and Americans were. And this was a hotel. And I see the car with the broken the back, back window. window. Yeah. And I go in there and I'm looking for, I wanted to punch him. And I go in there and the white hunter's in the bar and I recognized him. And he said, I just put Smith on an airplane couple hours ago he's flying back to la and i I couldn't believe it he couldn't believe it he said i've never had that happen
0: before especially in africa yeah in africa what's wrong
1: so it was unbelievable but that aside i got another ride with this i stayed another day around that general store and that farmer came in and took me up to the uh forest where the pygmies live oh cool and we're standing up there and he spoke pygmy and so here We're in the Pygmy Village, and uh He calls them all together and they're little bitty guys and they have their bow and arrows are like this long. Yeah. And but you know, they were like
0: three, four feet.
1: Well, they they came up to my chest
0: basically. So maybe four something. Yeah, yeah. about
1: four feet or four two or something maybe. Guys were a little bigger than women. And you know, it's just they're living in these huts in the deepest part of Africa. The trees are hundred feet, it's Tarzan vines and you know it's it's like it's not like Kenya. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like dark black jungly Africa. Yeah. And so we go up there, and uh, he gets them all lined up, about six or eight of them, and they all have their bow and arrow, and he says, watch this. He lights a cigarette and stands there to the side, and these five or six... Pygmies shoot that cigarette out of his mouth with bow and arrows.
0: Unbelievable.
1: And I've photographed the whole thing. I couldn't believe it.
0: That's crazy. And he's
1: sucking on the cigarette, and boom, the arrows go by and the cigarettes out of his mouth.
0: Make sure you pick the guys know how to shoot a bow and arrow. And so
1: all these pygmy girls are all naked, and there's one, they're all, this is another custom, they stretch their breasts purposely. So their sign of beauty is a long, flat, older woman boobs and what they do they take uh, it's like tapa cloth they take the bark off the tree pound it so it's kind of like cloth you can and they wrap that around the top of their boobs and break down the muscle tissue and keep moving it down and down so your boobs get longer and flatter (laughs) and I have pictures so there's one little I don't know, 15 year old with great sticking out straight firm little boobs and here's a couple of gals beside her with big flat things and I'm giving her all the bubble gum and they're trying to blow and so I'm blowing bubbles. I'm blowing big old bubbles and popping them and they unwrap them. They don't even... They eat it with the paper with the paper, paper on it and everything. And then they're trying to stretch it. And get, they got it all over their face and everything. I'm blowing some great old bubbles. And they're clapping and loving it. And I give this one girl had great little boobs. And I thought, well, at least you know, this one hadn't started the process yeah. yet. Because all the rest of them... Yeah, and there's kind of- guys are swinging down in vines. The guys are. They're bow and arrow. Wow. And they're back. And, and it was kind of scary and so this one I was really hot kind of hot for and so I tried to get her in a little in a little low you know it was only about this high and made out of big leaves so it shed the rain yeah. it was raining all the time in there and so I got her in there and this one guy swings down and I don't know husband father brother whatever but he's got a arrow out and just not in his bow but he got the bow and arrow in his hand and he kind of prodded me and then I didn't know what he's talking about but I figured I better get out of here I gave him some way. more bubble gum and left the girl alone but I got a great picture of her that's she looked awesome. good So then I went from there up into Uganda the headwater Victoria uh, well Lake Victoria is the headwaters of the Nile River and so I followed that down in a skiff because it's not very big there yeah. and I got pictures of the alligators we were in a skiff that was about 16 17 feet long yeah. and these alligators were longer than the skiff was we Oh my gosh rowing down and they would come off the cliffs and hit the boat and we're holding the gunnels and trying to keep it so balance you
0: got knocked out of the boat you're oh dead.
1: you're dead i mean yeah. at least i think you would have been yeah i scared the hell out of myself i went down the nile with that guy for i don't know probably 10 miles and wow. got to the border of sudan oh wow in the little town of juba which is now the capital
0: a friend of mine this is the guy in laguna russell raddick who uh grew up on a mission station in in sudan really and yeah, so juba he's been to juba um I think that was where you went to school or something. Yeah. Well, I
1: went to, there was a mission there right in yeah. Juba. There was a general store, and I bought one can of Dole pineapple. They oh, wow, had. Wow, wow. Just one can. I would have bought a dozen. Well,
0: maybe that was. Maybe they were in Juba. Yeah. And
1: I went to the English missionary, and I said, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get to, to Egypt. Yeah. And uh, he said, Well, this is the season's too hot. He said, The uh, Sudanese government has a convoy of trucks that bring supplies to Juba at certain times of the year, and they've all gone back. But he said, There's one truck that broke down, and they're waiting for a part to come down the river. Uh, and you might check with them, they might have had the part by now. But he said, I've lived here for 29 years, he told me, and no white man has ever crossed the Nubian or Sahara Desert when I've been here.
0: Well, that's what, so I think they were the first white people living in Sudan, in, I think, yeah. In the well, city. I can
1: believe it because this was in 1960. That's,
0: that's probably his father. That's probably, well, that's well, probably the Radix. Been. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll, I'll ask Russell, it's a, but that's a great connection. <laughs> a good connection. Yeah.
1: So I get up, the truck was fixed and I get on the truck with like, 12 other Arabs, and you got to carry all your gas, 55 gallon oil drums, and we would siphon it into the gas tank. And this is a big English truck of Bedford. Yeah. And no speedometer, just a compass. There's no road. You're just driving across the desert, sands are shifting all the time, and they just got to track a course like you would on a boat.
0: Unbelievable. (laughs) You're basically driving across a sand sea. Yeah.
1: And that's what we did, but it was so hot. And this is after a first couple of days. So it started out just kind of barren, then it got worse and sandy. And the first couple of days, you know, I'm in my shorts and I thought, well, if you get a little tan, I'll be looking good when I get to the Olympics in Rome. And uh, it got so damn hot and it froze at night. It dropped 100 degrees. Whoa. It got 130 in the daytime and it would freeze at night. Wow. And it was so dry my cheeks cracked and they didn't bleed. They, they just oozed blood, not bleeding, bleeding. Yeah, yeah. And my lips, you know how your lips, yep. well, my whole face got
0: like that. was just cracking. Yeah. And just,
1: just wet from blood oozing out of there. And so it's so hot in the daytime we couldn't drive. We lay under the truck and look at the differential for eight hours. Wow. And under... Just wait. Wait. Because it, it was too damn hot. Yeah. And it was 130 and... Then at daytime it'd start to sink, and by black night it would be freezing.
0: Unbelievable! What and, a, yeah, I mean, that's just that's brutal. And so
1: I rode across there for I don't remember how many days, and you know we each took we each had a five gallon can of water, and all I had to eat was that can of pineapple. And I always carried, you know, they grow peanuts all over Africa. So there's plenty of peanut butter. And I had two gl- uh, quart jars of peanuts and about six French loaves of bread. And I ate French bread and peanut butter oh when goodness. it's 100 degrees and not very much water. Oh. It was a terrible trip really ugly and it got so hot that i put on my levi's and a sweatshirt and i had a nairobi ymca towel i wrapped around as a turban put as much clothes as i could on because that protected you from the sun right it was just a killer
0: otherwise you're gonna get squashed. oh god
1: it was terrible
0: so So, where'd you end up in well
1: then i finally got to um costi and then i went down i got a Uh, On a river steamer, a Nile river steamer, and went to from from Khartoum. Oh wow! I went uh, Abdurman and Khartoum. That's where the Blue Nile and the White Nile come together. Right. So then I was on the full Nile from Khartoum to Aswan, where they're making the The dam. It wasn't finished then. Oh wow! And so I went to the dam. Then we went up over the dam. I got on a bus and went to Luxor and all along the valley of the kings and yeah. eventually you know got to cairo and the pyramids and saw all that and that i didn't like that part of africa so much that was muslim and it wasn't the religion it was the lifestyle the clothes and yeah, the food yeah. and the, just that didn't turn me on like black africa did yeah and so then i was anxious to get to the beach and I went down to Alexandria got a job on a Norwegian ship going to Istanbul no it went to Piraeus first okay. in Greece yeah. and I got off in Piraeus and my mom uh, went to Pomona Graduate School College or Claremont Graduate School she had a PhD in teaching or whatever oh. it was and the professor was one of her professors was working in the American Embassy as a social Attaché. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I knew I'd met him, and my mom wrote me. So I went to the American Embassy and stayed with him for a couple of weeks. And he got me tickets to the Olympic Games oh, wow. through the embassy. And uh, I attended bar in Athens at the Las Vegas Club at night. Wow. Uh,
0: Where's the Las Vegas Club? Well, it's
1: right downtown in, in the plaza in Athens. Oh wow! And they catered to Americans. And they didn't hardly pay me, but they gave me food and uh, there was hookers upstairs and uh, so it was just fun for you because they didn't know how to make Manhattans and old fashions and drinks that Americans would ask for sure. at that time. So I just did it as a fun thing, but it worked out. Then I went to Istanbul and Istanbul a great city. You've yeah, there. I have. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating. Really, you know, Saint Sophia the Blue yeah, Mosque is really amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. So I stayed there, the YMCA for a couple of weeks. Grand bazaar. Yeah, yeah. went all over the. Great food too. Oh yeah, yeah, all yeah. Of that was really interesting. And then uh, the it was just after uh, Romania and Bulgaria were all communists, and mm-hmm. they opened them. And when I was there, I'd go to the. Uh, American Express to get my mail in downtown Istanbul, and uh, they told me there that they just opened Bulgaria, and so the Orient Express was going through Bulgaria and Romania oh, wow. to uh, to uh, Trieste okay. on the border yeah. of Yugoslavia. I, I, I went, I went yeah. through Zagreb, and so I got a ticket on the American the uh, uh,
0: uh, on the orient uh, express, express cool. leaving
1: istanbul and i was in the first train that went through romania and bulgaria we we could get off the train at the railroad station but you, but you couldn't, couldn't get out
0: to, yeah they and but it out. just
1: to go through there then we went into yugoslavia zagreb and
0: uh, i've driven from dubrovnik up to trieste Trieste. yeah but i haven't you know i have been uh, i haven't taken the orient express I, I wonder if you can still do that
1: well, and then I got off in Trieste out of the train and hitchhiked to Rome. To Rome yeah. And then I went to the Olympics. Oh, wow. And saw my coach and got in that and went to all the stuff. I actually saw Cassius Clay win the heavyweight boxing champion Whoa. when he was Cassius Clay before he was before Muhammad he, yeah. Ali. And that was good. And saw all the hurdlers and sprinters. The German Airman Harry won the 100 meters that year. First time we'd lost the 100 meter dash. To a well, Americans had wanted I think every year up until then. Cheers. And uh, so I had a, you know a great time there. Then I went through France and you know along the Mediterranean. Saint Tropez went out to the island of Levant, which was a nudist island. <laughs> Everybody's naked on the island. That was fun. Yeah. And then I ended up in Spain and went to Pamplona. Pamploma. Ran with the bulls seven days in a row. Oh really? And got gored in the foot. Oh, wow. Um i say gored but just hooked in the foot yeah. but i had a little scar and ran with the bulls got in the bull ring every day but once see, the the whole purpose of running with them is if you're right with the bulls you can get in the bull ring for the bull fights free oh, otherwise wow. they close the door and so the kids are all there's not that many that run right with the bulls see they fire a cannon and, and then everybody's in the street, and it's packed. Yeah. And then they fire a cannon, and they don't let the bulls out for another 15 minutes. And everybody starts running. Well, when they let the bulls out, there's hardly anybody in the street. And you can't run. I tried it the first day. I didn't get in. If you run from where they let them out, the bulls will run faster than you can. It's about probably a 660. Uh, I That's what I figured in it's about, running.
0: That's about the speed of the mile. And
1: I couldn't. Uh, No, it's about a a half a mile. Oh, I'm sorry. And I couldn't run fast enough to stay ahead of the bulls to get in because they close the gate until they just open it when the bulls are right there. And the students put a big dog pile and try and keep the bulls from getting in the ring. And the bulls actually go over these guys, and that's where they break arms and legs and ribs and everything else, crawling over these guys. And so the first time I I couldn't run with the bull. You have to be right with them because the gate's open, the gate closes. But every other day I did that because I I jumped in later. I didn't start at the beginning. Okay. So if you start halfway, I could sprint that. But I couldn't sprint the whole thing. Right. So that was a learning curve how to run with the bulls. Yeah,
0: six sixties. That's a lot, that's a that's a pretty long sprint. Yeah, that's notice. a long yeah. sprint. I yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. so, so doing the doing bulls like got procedure. ahead. Of
1: me, and I didn't get in. And a guy got American got gored in the eye and killed. I guess he gored in the eye in his in brain. brain. Wow! And I got a picture. We separated one big Mira bull from the herd, and so we were in the. And so they try and get him to come back down. See, the road's all fenced off with these big double fences. Yeah, and so um, we I was in a month later I'm in France and I was sitting having a beer and I looked at a bunch of postcards and there was a picture of this bull it was a different color I recognized the bull right away and they had taken a postcard and I'm on the other side of it a picture of me taking a picture of that bull
0: oh that's hilarious
1: so I had I got the camera up to my eye I'm in a blue sweatshirt I'm on the other side and they took a picture of the bull looking this way I'm taking one looking that way so it was a postcard I bought a postcards oh, that's awesome and sent them to all my pals that's super cool <clears throat> then i went to i'm trying to wind this up yeah. i went to wolfsburg bought a volkswagen at the wolfsburg volkswagen oh, wow. for, for 800 bucks oh, right off the factory with the 2200 that i had yeah and that was concluding uh, buying the car and i went to germany and bought a bunch of ski gear oh, wow. and put it in the volkswagen shipped it from uh germany from uh what was the name of the port uh Oh, damn it. Hamburg. Hamburg, yeah. Uh, from Hamburg yeah, yeah. to New York. I went to Rotterdam, got on a Norwegian freighter to New York, <laughs> got my Volkswagen at the harbor in New York, and drove it to Laguna. Across America. Across America.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> How long did that take?
1: Three years.
0: And... When you got back, Bruce Brown was a friend of yours, right? Oh,
1: Bruce was, of course, a good friend before I left, and Hobie and all my friends. And, you know, Bruce and Dewey Weber and all those guys, we all hung out together. And
0: Bruce had been making like, surf films. And he, was and showing, he had right? made a couple of movies Ride the Wild Surf. Slippery When Wet.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ride the Wild Surf. Big Wednesday, that was Severson. Yeah. Uh, but he had done two or three of those yeah. little movies. And I showed, and I had slides that I'd taken. And so we had a slideshow, we're drinking wine, all my. The girlfriends, everybody's there. Oh, had, man. and so we're all getting drunk. And I'm just telling what I just told you, yeah. only in more detail. And <laughs> uh, everybody's laughing and having a great time. And I said to Bruce, "God, Bruce, you got to go to these places. I know these guys. I can fix you up yeah. in Australia and in Africa and India and yeah. uh, all, and, and certainly in Europe. I then went to Bay Ritz and surfed in Bay Ritz yeah, that's really along fun. there. So." You know, that was 1961 when I came home. So he went ahead and did his thing and and finally left in 64 to make the movie.
0: And how long was he gone?
1: Uh, Oh, six weeks. Yeah, yeah. he did (laughs) (laughs) it on (laughs) an airplane. And in the meantime, I had gone back to John Whitmore and taken him the resin and the blanks and the stuff, showed him how to make surfboards and told him that Bruce was going to come. I made him... So I changed Whitmore's whole life. I mean, he was selling used cars. Right. He was a smart guy. All I did was open the door uh, for him.
0: He was, he was willing to hustle. He it, just needed a new vehicle. And, yeah. and so
1: I gave that to him. Cool. And so I showed him how to make surfboards. He started making Whitmore surfboards, quit selling used cars. I got him the distributorship for Surfer Magazine. Uh, Bruce came down and and did Made that. Famous. Yeah. And then um, I got him the Hobie Cat do- Dealership. Wow. And he made Hobie Cats for all of Africa. I got talked to Tom Morey. Morey gave him the Morey Boogie dealership. (laughs) That's awesome. And so the next time I go there, he lived in this little teeny house. Down on the beach, now he's got the highest house on Table Mountain. Oh my god, and got a view of the whole Table Mountain and a just big house, it. Yeah. yeah, just doing it. That's awesome. And you know, he made a great living and had a good life. And uh, I, I went back 10 times, he came over and stayed with me five times, got to know Hobie and everybody, and they all liked him. He was a real likable, fun guy. And uh, then, uh, what happened to Patty? Well, then this is the rest of the oh, story. Sorry, sorry. So in the meantime, I see her on these other trips. Yeah. But then one trip, so I saw her the next trip with the blanks, and she was just out of high school because that was a real quick trip. But I was only there for like I was living in Hawaii and I had businesses going then, yeah, yeah. and I couldn't stay, you know. And I wanted to help John, so I saw Patty and we're in love and all that. But it's you know it's obvious it's so far it's too away much distance, the yeah. culture. And so <clears throat> she gets married, I get married, and we stay in contact, and she sends me pictures of her kids, and I send her pictures of Shirley. Well, Shirley and I go there, and then one time, Shirley and I go, and she moves to Namibia in Windhoek. And we go up there with John and I and the whole family, my mom and my wife, and we go stay with Patty and her husband wow. and her kids. And then Patty and I is like, you know, here you have this romance, and she's got her husband, I've got my Your wife. Life, the and
0: whole yeah, here. but
1: it just it was it was fun, but it was kind of on edge. You didn't know how it was going to end up. Are the husband and wives pissed off yeah. or not? And how that's all... Because it was obvious. I mean, I told my wife, you know, this is Patty. I, I went with her when I was in Cape Town. And, yeah. you know, it was just part of life. So anyway, then her husband dies. I get divorced. And now... At the last trip over there, I didn't see her. So I'm 90 and she's 75, and we have this ongoing relationship where I'd Skype together oh, on awesome. the phone and like talking like, well, how are we going to get together now the the next time? So here it's been going on for 70 years or 60 years. Uh, that's
0: an incredible journey together. I mean, and, and to be able to maintain it, maintain that different families and different things going on. I mean, I think if that's not true love, I'm not sure what what it is. Well, it
1: really was interesting. And we do have this attachment, but I think we both realized Patty can't leave, so she has property there. And the tax consequences, if she leaves, she has to lose her property. Uh, Now, she can go to Cape Town for a vacation, but if she has to give up her property and and run it. and And you're not going to move there and i'm not going to move to vindhook and i've been there but it's not where i want to go and she is real bashful i mean the life she's lived is she would hate it in laguna or something now up here that's mountains that would be different for you know it just we both have this inkling that maybe some magic thing will happen but seriously it probably won't work
0: yeah but it's great that you've I mean, I think maybe sometimes too. There's a lot of books and movies about what they call this unrequited love. You know, where you you've been together, you you really have this connection, but then you're separated. Uh huh. And um, I think sometimes that separation makes the attraction a lot stronger, right? I mean, it, if you work together all the time, maybe you
1: yeah, you have would have gotten over it. There are right? things that you don't have in common, but yeah. but on a short spurts...
0: It's pretty nice. It was great, yeah, you know? Yeah.
1: And you, you overlook all those maybe shortcomings or things that you don't like about somebody. Uh, but her life, she has to has it all guarded and you know it's just terrible where her she's got an alarm system and they got arms and guard yeah, yeah, yeah. and in the middle of the night a coyote comes and they alarm guards come and searchlights go on and you know I, I i wouldn't couldn't live like that
0: yeah that's i mean i think you know right obviously so, the southern african countries are going through a lot of turmoil and people are trying to figure out how to how to coexist and it's right. pretty uh it's tough yeah it's, it's, really tough. it's tough.
1: So anyway, that's the Patty story, but it's still alive and well. But that's really it's, <laughs> cool. That's really cool. So that's you probably want to end it here with the end of the no, trip story.
0: Well, I think it's just it's such a fascinating um, journey, and it's and it's you know you've been able to compress three years into you know into probably a couple hours here, but I I appreciate you taking the time to go through it because um, you know most people will never be able to take a journey like that. In fact, you can't take that journey anymore. theres I don't know how you would. Um, well,
1: I think you could. I've thought about it. Uh, but you've got to know some stuff M- more than I did. I was naive. You, you couldn't go naive and do it. But knowing what I know now, yeah, I, I could do it. And the reason I say that, I have American merchant papers. Okay,
0: so if you, got, if you if you're, if you're, so,
1: so, And I know how the Norwegian things, and I've been back to Norway a couple of times. I went to the home office oh
0: that's great and
1: I showed them uh, told them about the ships on and they showed me a world map and they said oh you're on the Thor all here and the Thor shawl is over here and that's and amazing. so they said uh, you know I got Norwegian Seamen's papers yeah and they said that's our tramp steamers will still pick up guys if the skippers want to it's, yeah. it's their sole discretion because
0: the, yeah, they're the captain and yeah.
1: so yeah so you you'd have to finesse it you know you couldn't like topper right there he couldn't get on and but he didn't have the visas he didn't have the wherewithal to know what to do and i didn't know much more but i knew i had a visa for australia because they didn't as soon as you pull into a port customs comes aboard and so they have to make a declaration that oh i've got a a shipmate that's getting off here here's his visa so it's no problem but you you don't have a visa you know then you the, the skipper doesn't want that problem
0: yeah, I mean, I have, I have two passports, and you know, they're very thick. Um, and I have like ten-year visas in, uh-huh. to Russia and India and different places like China. But the, uh, I mean, the good thing is Americans don't need as many visas, maybe as That's they used right, to. That's right now, as, well. as you used to have, but you still need them for a lot of places we we're talking about. And I think the other piece is you really would have to get your merchant marine license in right. order to get on these boats, I think, these days. Is that right, more Yeah, less?
1: well, I think, now, see, it's a law the last time. So after I made this trip, I made several other ones. What I found out I could do is go to L.A., watch the ships. And so an American or a Norwegian ship that was going to Japan. I'd never been to Japan. I wanted yeah. to go to Japan. So I went to uh, uh uh uh, san pedro and got on a norwegian freighter just like i did before my dad drove me up there yeah and i got on the freighter i had a, a visa for japan and we went to okinawa and uh we stopped in hawaii we went to okinawa and uh where else did we go uh
0: did you go to Kobe or Osaka, or uh... well, we
1: no, we went right to Yokohama, okay. where I got off. Yep. But I had I it, I it; I had it, all yep. the stuff, and then I was in Japan for about three weeks, toured around, saw everything I wanted to see, and then it's a law, American law. You have to, if you're an American seaman in a foreign country, and you've been let off because of sickness or an injury or whatever reason. The American Embassy has to put you on the next American ship bound for the United States. Well, they have to. They have to. So I went to the American Embassy, gave them my uh, merchant seaman's card, and they put me on a ship. I went through the Panama Canal and got off in New York.
0: That's amazing. What a really what a what an incredibly cool way to I mean, that's a that's a lost art. It makes me want to go get a merchant marine license or something. Maybe 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 that's my next uh, my next adventure. But you don't
1: wanna see, but you can't go on an American ship out of an American port and get off in a foreign port. See, that's where you have to go on another so you have, to get, you have
0: to get a different flag, yeah, set of papers. So if, if, it's against
1: it. the law for an American seaman to get off in a foreign port unless he's been hurt or injured. Ah. And so, so that's you, why. So you want to
0: get like Norwegian or so some you, other. So it's something some that, that you can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: And then you get off there because they don't care if you get off as yeah. long as you've got the visa. And then the embassy has uh, to put you on the They boat. have to put that's you on the boat. What is. Is. That's
0: hilarious. That's a great life hack. That's a great <laughs> travel hack right there, It is.
1: Oh, it's a neat one. I've since traveled... I don't know, four or five times since the original trip with that.
0: So now there's no more excuses for people who haven't traveled. And I think it's time for Dick and I to go to the Pioneer Bar here, Pioneer Saloon, and uh, and see what they have in store for us. Dick, thank you so much for all this time with the Kick Aspirational podcast.
1: Well, I enjoyed it. And I think it's important that you keep doing this because you're off to a great start. And not just with mine, but with other people you're doing. And this history and culture that you're gathering is so important.
0: I, I, want, I want people to, I mean, one of the things that's helped change and transform my life is just Getting out and traveling and seeing other cultures, living in them, participating in them. Because I think it helps you become a better person, you know, become a more aware person of what's Absolutely.
1: going on. Absolutely. You learn other customs that you're maybe wouldn't normally accept those kinds of things. Right. When you see them and live with them and see other cultures, then they're easier to accept.
0: It opens your mind and, and Absolutely. opens your heart to other people. Well, this is the Kick Aspirational podcast. We want to thank Dick Metz for being here today and uh, for inviting us to Sun Valley to to do this together. And, um, you know, just remember, this is not, uh, you're listening to the podcast, but the Kick Aspirational uh, ideas are not not spectator sports. We want you to get out there to try to do it yourself and to let us know what happens. Send us messages, uh, questions,
1: and uh, whatever you do this week. Above all else, please be Kick Aspirational.